Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me, world? Uh, this is Midweek Motorsport. Uh, a little bit late, my apologies. Um, beyond our control, and Tim Gray's done a great job down in London to get us back talking to you. And uh, his up series. In London. Up in London, yes. Well, I think you were down a hall in London getting it sorted, weren't you? Um, series 15, episode number 48, 9th of December. And uh, it's the cold weather, you know. Sometimes you've just got to get a jump start once in a while. On a patch, but slightly shortened then, programme tonight. We'll have to squeeze a bit more in, Tim. What do we have? Uh, we have um, one of the usual features. We've got a big <laughs> interview. <laughs> Very good. Uh, which is with Renga van der Zander. Uh, yes. Talking about uh, Ganassi next year. Uh, thank you very much to everybody for their patience. The Crotch Belt, Jesse, Chris Suku, uh, also Sarah Rigby, Dave Olcock, uh, and Entropy Nebula, Brody, Yoda's Uncle, Irvin Graven, Jet, Uncle Tom Cobley, and all. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to uh, rather take up precious time. Uh, with a few more parish notices. At Spec Entertainment, I've, I've got internet here. Hello to Elliot Lindemood, who's just uh, tuning in as well. And uh, do you want to go to the first story, Tim? And we'll get cracking. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh... John, let's start by uh, telling everyone where, where you've been this evening. Uh, I have been to Silverstone Racing Circuit. On have you been the, walking uh, bo- in the air? Uh, uh, no, I didn't stay to walk in the air. So but you I was also haven't been floating in the moonlit sky? No. Well, uh, no, wasn't moonlit. Wasn't moonlit. Um, I, I've been... I, I was going to say I was driving around the track. I wasn't. You were being driven around the track. <laughs> I was being driven. Uh, Eve took the box step and uh, we took top down all the way. You've started, you've started Damon off now. He's going to be doing that. Uh, later on, we'll have more music as For, we Fortunately ask... for the uh, entire world apart from you and Nick, no one can uh, hear him. No, but we, we, we will we'll be having another few musical feature later on as we ask, how do you solve a problem like Nikita? Yeah, very good. Mm. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so anyway, I was being driven around in the box. We, uh, even though it was the best we saw was six and a half degrees Celsius plus, um, we went... Top down there, top down all the way around the track and top down back again for the opening week of Lapland. 
Uh, it's all booked up, but if you have been lucky enough to get one of the tickets, it's magnificent. Uh, I shared a picture about half an hour ago, just before the show was due to start, and we'll we'll get some more uh, on uh, on the socials in the, the next day or so. A lot of people using the opportunity to go to the experience as well. Uh, and then staying on, as you say, for the drive-in movies. Three different areas on the circuit being used for drive-in movies, each with their own little FM radio station. It's all very good, thoroughly enjoyable, and it's really hard to tell where you are on the track when you've got lots of flashing lights and lasers going on, and you go, oh, oh, right, this is store. Right, yes, okay, then. Need to break just there, the nave. Okay, turn in after the curb. Lovely. Um... If you've got the opportunity to go, go. If you book your ticket, make sure you go. Fill your car up. It doesn't cost you any more. Uh, and when they do it again next year, I can only imagine it'll be even better. Lots of elves, lots of Christmas spirit uh, and snow globes. Huge, huge, oversized snow globes with real people in them. It's very clever. Like all, it's all, all a bit. Uh, yeah, all a bit. Yeah, it was all a bit um, prisoner. You know, <laughs> rover sort of size snow globes. Anyway, um, I have a question for you, yes. which um, uh, I, I wouldn't normally ask, but because we, we, it's hard for us to... to, to do, do you need me to do the technical bits that you were talking to me about before from here? I don't believe so, no. Oh, OK. Excellent. So shall we go to the first story then? Yes. And gonna play uh, the jingle? This is a story which we will not need uh, Nick Damon for. Unless okay. he genuinely wants to uh, okay. join in. But we have uh, crowned some champions. Uh, and uh, among them, Sebastian Ogier. Sorry, Sebastian Ogier and Julian did Ingrassia. You didn't, the, you didn't play the news jingle there, did you? No, we played that before the uh, snowman. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay, sorry, yes. Story. Okay. Uh, they have won their seventh FIA World Rally Championship title in eight years. Uh, only mm-hmm. last year's uh, victory by Ertenak. Uh, stopped them doing eight in a row uh, at the Cathedral of Speed, the uh, ACI Valley Monza uh, over the weekend. Now, OJ started the weekend 14 points behind his uh, Toyota teammate, Elvin Evans, uh, but took the lead on Saturday morning. Uh, when, yes, uh, Elvin's, Saturday, well, Saturday uh, afternoon, sorry, actually. When, well, he took the lead on Saturday morning, but he took o- the lead of the rally, but that wasn't enough. Rally, yes. but that wasn't enough. Yep. Um, Elvin... Evans' uh, dream ended when he crashed down a bank uh, on a snow-covered road in the mountains. Stage 11, it was. Stage 11, yes. They were live on it. I was transfixed. Uh, I haven't watched uh, a lot of coverage of rallying because I'm normally not around. I was absolutely transfixed. I watched every moment of it. The special stages around Monza, um, up to 16 kilometres they managed to find in there. And in the it's dark... amazing. You the go b- to some of these other valleys where they do these um, bonus point special stages that are only sort of three kilometres long, and you think, what was the point? Monza actually put a lot of effort into doing a oh, proper 18, length 19-minute stage. 11-minute, 16-kilometre stage. It was, it, it was brilliant. I loved it. And in the dark, on the banking... Absolutely fantastic. It was packed full of drama from the start. Thierry Neville, who had an outside chance of winning it, he clobbered one of the concrete blocks early on and ripped off a, 
uh, or did suspension damage, actually. Although that didn't take him out the rally. What took him out the rally was it was raining so hard on Friday morning that as he came off the track on one of the service roads, which was part of the stage, he was going so slowly, the water came up over the bonnet. Instead of just disappearing, it all fell in through the vents and drowned his engine out. That was him done. Um, Friday stages were great, and... It was Danny Sordo and Sebastian Ogier who kept swapping the lead. And it, I mean, it was brilliant. Tyre rules were great because they, that they weren't allowed studded tyres. They had winter tyres, but not studded. And they had full wet tyres, which just looked like road tyres, actually. And you can only have a certain amount. You can carry, obviously, you have four on the car. You can carry two spares. And the, and the changes in the... Uh, in the weather conditions up in the in the Alps was just fantastically brilliant. So somebody would you know do really badly in the first fifteen k's of a stage because it was just wet and they had winter tyres on, and then they'd get four k's of snow and it looked and it looked better for them. And then I was I loved it. Uh, and Elvin was very very unlucky. Uh, Gus Greensmith for M Sport and Oli Christian Verby. Uh, both had offs on the same stage that claimed uh, that claimed Elvin, although on the first pass through, Elvin on the second. Uh, it was it was it was great, fabulous event, and it seemed Tim that most people, the the teams, the drivers, and certainly the journalists who were commentating, they seemed to think it was a good idea. I think we might see an event like that, if not that event, back again. And I, I wouldn't put it past being at the end of the season again. It worked really well. And if they could have had spectators in there as well, oh, my goodness, it would have been absolutely fantastic. Although, I have to say, some of the rally drivers do really need to work on their racing lines <laughs> because some of the lines through Ascari, when they were taking it properly, were very interesting. Who was uh, it that the same... uh, got to Ascari and realised he had a puncture? Oh, yeah, that, that, that was... No, he was out uh, by then. No, he was out by then. Yes, uh, that might have been Tanak. Yeah, I think you're right. He was uh, at Tanak. Um, yeah. He finished second in the rally, though, despite that. Oh, um, it, it was very good. Only it was very, very good. Only the 14 seconds behind uh, Ogier, uh, which means he finishes a championship in third position on 105 points. Uh, Elvin Evans, uh, runner-up with 114, and Sebastian Ogier with 122 points, is our 2020 FIA World Rally Champion. The big thing in, in the WRC team was that Hyundai, with the results that they got, took the Manufacturers' Championship and not Toyota, and that yes. really upset Toyota. That well, really upset, ta- upset Tanak Toyota. Tanaka Sordo finishing second and third overall. That gave them plenty of points. Um, uh, there was also WRC two and junior WRC championships. Nine championships yes. it went right to the end. Nine championships at the weekend because don't forget the co-drivers are all world champions as well. Rightfully yes, so, so. You've got uh, a driver and a co-driver and a manufacturer in the WRC, and then driver and co-driver in WRC two, WRC three, and JWRC. Yeah, and that, that's yeah. where you get your eight. Uh, nine. Interesting. Sorry, nine. Interesting yep. uh, interview. Did you see the interview with uh, um, Espeki Lappi at the end of uh, that final stage? Oh, I might have missed that. What What was it? Uh, the uh, I like reporter, good. Uh, and it was Molly at the end of that Molly. one. Uh, just en- after she'd done her um, 
one question that she's normally allowed um said uh well done uh see you uh, back next month for the Monte Carlo, and he said probably not, which obviously led ah. to a follow-up question about why. Uh, but he has no ride for next year at the moment. Ah, interesting. A uh, couple of things coming in. I'd expect your team and thank you, everybody, for for staying true and uh, spending some time listening to the uh, sound of silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Uh, Tom Firth saying, Elvin displayed great sportsmanship in helping warn his competitors the danger that it cost him the championship. Really respect him for that. That's what happens in rally. It was Elvin who got out of the car. Scott uh, went to the other side. His team, his, uh, his co-driver, Scott Martin, uh, he used to be co-driver for um, Young Wilson, didn't he? Matthew. Uh, they've been, uh, Matthew Wilson. They've been uh, childhood friends. Um, and, I mean, he was he was desperately unlucky lucky because it was... A surface change, but the weather was uh, so changeable. But you can see it from on board. It's like, oh, hang on. Oh, he's, he's caught it. No, he hasn't caught it. Uh, uh, Dave Oldcock says, this is just your 1976 Brands Hatch edition of Midweek Motorsport. The restart will be great. <laughs> Very good. Like it. Like it a lot. Uh, moving on. Uh, uh, do you want to name check the other rally, uh, the other champions? Or are you happy to move on? I'm happy to move on. Um, right. Where because, are we going next? Uh, we're going to move to sports cars. Uh, And we're going to go to GT3, just as Bentley leave GT3, uh, a decision announced last week. And on Monday, uh, John, you spoke to Bentley's director of motorsport, Paul Williams, to ask about the future for the brand uh, and why it is leaving GT3. I think the first thing for us, of course, to realise is that our GT3 programme is now seven years old. It's almost exactly seven years since the the first race we went in. And and what we, we feel is is that, first of all, the GT3 program has done exactly what we set out to achieve you know, many, many years ago, and that it's, it has absolutely proved and shown that the, the Continental GT is, is a high-performance car and then can compete with the, you know, all of the top sports cars and the, and the top-performance cars of the world. And so, you know, we are not stopping something that we, we think is, is not good. We, we absolutely strongly believe that the the program has achieved what it set out to achieve but um what we at Bentley Motors have done is is we've made a very strong commitment to to look forward from now to a a much more um sustainable and environmentally friendly future for our our brand and we really felt that that in taking a stance like that as a as a company and as you know as a brand it was very important as well that our motorsport followed that that principle as well. And from that perspective, GT3 is not the ideal place to to be in to to be able to support that strategy. And so, we took the decision to to you know look back at our GT3 program and say that it was amazing, but it's time for us to do something different and to and to take up a different form of motorsport that that is in complete um, harmony with where we're going as a brand. Uh, what does that mean in in pretty stark terms? Then the 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 the, the GT3 program that you have as a factory supported program with M Sport. Tell me what is the 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 future for that as we sit here right now? So, in in stark terms, in real terms, it means t- two main things. The first one is that in terms of having a works team or a work supported team where we have factory drivers and um, a team that is that is paid for by the factory going and racing in, in various series we won't do that anymore 
And that's the first thing that's important. The second thing is that we won't invest any more in developing a future version of that car or a new variant of the, of the GT3 car. But what it doesn't mean is that we're stopping and walking away from, from all the customers that we have today. So with our partner, M-Sport, we will continue to, to support the customers that we do have and to continue to allow them to, to race. We'll make sure that um, you know, the car remains legal with the FIA and um, in the various series that it needs to be for people to continue to, to race with the car. Mm. And M-Sport is also fully committed to continue to um, sell parts for the cars, to technically support the vehicles as well. So that people who want to continue racing um, with the Bentleys that they, they have bought or leased from us, they can continue to do that. And that falls in, that sustainable future, uh, falls in uh, with Bentley Motors. Uh, it's it's no secret. It, since Adrian Hallmark came back to the brand, what, since 2018, I think it was. And we've heard recently uh, that in 2025, we'll see the rollout of the first all-electric Bentley. Um, with, certainly in the UK, the idea that we won't be able to have any internal combustion new cars by 2030. So Bentley retains... Presumably, though, uh, its stance, and I'm, I'm kind of kind of crossing territory here, but I know that you guys do so much development for, for the road cars down through the line. I, I hope this is appropriate. Um, Bentley w- will presumably, though, always retain its premium, luxury, and driver-based uh, um, priorities as a brand. A- absolutely. So, no, as a brand, our... You know, we, we strongly believe that we are that we are um, you know appealing to customers who still love driving and enjoy driving and enjoy that that particular blend of luxury and performance that our that our brand brings to you know brings to the world and that hasn't changed. What's what's really changing in our beyond one hundred one hundred strategy is is how we deliver that. Mm. And so we are making a very fast transformation, first of all, into hybrid, and then second of all, into full electric in our product range. And, um, you know, we believe that that is exactly what the form of transport or the form of, of, of motoring that our, our customers want. Mm. And we have, to give, we have to give them something which is, which is not just extraordinary and, and fantastic to drive, but also is is sustainable and something that you can be proud of in the, in the rapidly changing world. And so, you know, we've taken the stance as a, as a company. Um, we want to be ahead of that game, not behind it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, motorsport needs to be part of that as well. And we can't be, we can't be saying so strongly that we want to go in this direction, but at the same time, you know, participating or investing really in, in a form of motorsport that doesn't support that. So the real message behind the motorsport side of this is, is not that we are, are stopping, but that we're not investing anymore. So we will continue to, to work with the customers and to, and to, to help them to race, etc. but we won't be investing in that form of motorsport anymore. Does that mean that there is a potential for Bentley in the motorsport terms to look at a different form? Uh, Formula E is all electric, although that's single-seater and perhaps not quite in Bentley's wheelhouse. We've got Extreme E, which is uh, cross-country. Uh, your, one of your uh, other brands uh, in uh, VAG, Audi's talking about doing Dakar with an all-electric vehicle. And, of course, Bentley's home turf 
is Le Mans and endurance racing, which quite clearly, whatever anybody thinks, is going to be hybrid with LMDH uh, uh, in the near, very near future and potentially with other technology uh, in the medium term. Are those all being considered or has motorsport been parked completely? No, absolutely, you're correct, the way you said it now. So we are not stopping motorsport. Um, you know, part of our decision that we took now was was to put some, you know, some investment into into looking at the different forms of, of sustainable motorsport that are available right now. Obviously, it's a very rapidly changing world right now. We've seen certainly is. loads of announcements from all sorts of um, you know, people in the world, even in the last two or three days, about changes they are making and the direction that the, the world is changing. So, yeah, we are putting some time and some money into looking at these different forms of, of motorsport. Um, I'd almost like to say that nothing is off the table right now. <laughs> but obviously, there are certain areas which, um, which intrigue us more than others. And, and, and you're completely right. You know, the, the, the essence of what Bentley is and the, and the, the area which, which gives us the most interest is in endurance racing. This is something that really appeals to us. And um, yeah, as as that evolves, and as you know, the the the, the future of you know electric transportation you know, develops. Um, if we could have you know electric endurance racing tomorrow, that's where we'd be jumping in mm. directly. But these are still things that are under development, things that are progressing at the moment, and so we we're not stopping. We're switching direction, but exactly which way we're going, we can't we can't be sure yet. You'll understand, Paul, why you know me here talking to you um i'd like to explore the endurance aspect uh when when we run radio le mans that's almost a given isn't it are we are are we almost here um right now looking at electric transport in the same way as we were looking at the early years of the internal combustion engine because when we think back to the first grand prix at le mans in uh, the early 1900s, the first Le Mans uh, in, 20, in 1923, Le Mans was being used and motorsport was being used to prove the technology to a sceptical public. And particularly endurance racing at Le Mans has done that for nigh on 100 years. Are we in that same sort of area where... Motorsport can not only drive the technology forward, as we've seen with LMP1, with hybrids, with the battery technology that came out of that for uh, some of your partner brands in VAG like Porsche and uh, and Audi, but electric full EV, battery EV um, in particular, the endurance racing at Le Mans um, would have that same part to play as in the very early years of the 1920s and the 1930s. And, and of course, my point is, in which Bentley was an absolute integral part. Uh, you're completely right. I think and we all know the, the, the comments or we've read the history about how, you know, the doubts were in the early days that no vehicle can, can withstand the rigours of actually driving flat out for, for 24 hours. And I think we're in a similar place today with, with electric vehicles. We all recognise and you know, we've all driven electric cars and we've seen the amazing potential they have for for performance and for you know in our case for luxury as well but there's still this very much this this a reluctance among people to really trust the technology as something that can be that can be you know um 
driven hard and long and be part of sort of you know what we what we stand for really is is grand touring and so you know we are we are very similar to those to those early pioneers in the in the combustion sense is that there's still very much a doubt in the world about how you know electric powertrain technology can be used and how reliable and how trustworthy etc it is and I think as as things like you know rapid charging progress and um, battery technology progresses, this could be a very fascinating arena inside the next few years, and that's really where we want to be as a as a brand and as motorsport. That's where we want to be as well. I can't wait. I, I'm glad you mentioned Grand Touring because that is exactly the point that I was I was looking uh, to make there. Um, let's bring us. That's in the future, not the distant future, because five years for your first all electric Bentley and. 2030 for an all-electric Bentley lineup is what Adrian Hallmark has been saying. That's that's actually just around the corner, but it's a little bit further away than we'll talk about now. What we can talk about is this weekend coming in the Kyle Army Nine Hours, where you've uh, joined forces with M Sport and Sparko for Gilles Gunon, Jordan Pepper, and uh, Maxi Soule for the Intercontinental GT Challenge uh, final for this year. Looking forward to that, and it's not a huge entry, but it's a it's a competitive entry. And hell's flames, it's the Kyle Army nine hours for goodness' sake. So that's got to get your blood going, hasn't it? Oh, exactly. I think in, you can tell from my accent. I lived in South Africa for a long time as well. So Kyle Army, of course, has always got a bit of a special place for me. But um, yeah, it's been fantastic this year. I mean, we early on in the in the COVID crisis, we we had to make the choice to cut back our our works racing directly at that point in time, but. You know, because of the the strength that we have of some of our customer teams that, you know, the guys could continue to race with, you know, firstly with KPAX and now with M-Sport as a, as a customer team as well. And what's that, what that's meant is that, you know, especially those three guys you mentioned a second ago, they still are, in, you know, very much in line for the championship at the yes. moment. So they are getting the opportunity to go and uh, race at Kyle Army. And uh, I think, you know, for those of you who watched last year, we were we were really competitive there at um, that point in time. The car is great out in out in South Africa and the drivers are absolutely amazing. And, you know, uh, although, you know, in the next year, they'll be looking for something else to do. Um, they are absolutely at the top of the game at the moment. And they've proven that over and over again in the last, in the last year. And so yeah, I've got absolutely high hopes and high expectations for, for the race in South Africa. I think we have a, a you know, great chance to win it, but you're completely right. The competition is, is extreme. You know, these are the best GT races in the world and uh, it's fantastic to be up against them and to, and to give it a go. So, yeah, I'm personally looking forward to it very, very much. And, uh, yeah, it's whole thumbs and see how it goes. Paul, thank you for your time. You are truly one of us, by which I mean a, a motorsport enthusiast. Um, in, in lieu of, of motorsport, are we going to see any more crazy Bentley projects that puts a car on ice to break the world record or breaks the SUV Pikes Peak International Hill Climb? Come on, you must have something up your sleeve that you can, you can tease us with. Yeah, I suppose we could. Uh, there's loads of ideas that the guys have got to the moment for some for some special things to do in the next in the next couple of months. I'm not sure which things I should I should let out of the bag, but um, you know, maybe one thing I would say is that uh, you know we've been back to Parks Peak twice and we've taken two records there. Um, a third would be lovely, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then um, yeah, in terms of in terms of speed records, that's always a favourite area for us. So look out for something, uh, watch the space, and we'll we'll see what we can do for you. Oh, I love it. I love the sound of that. Best to everybody up there, Paul. And once this madness is all done, I'll come and see you uh, again and have a great weekend, uh, both in terms of enjoying it out there, but also have a successful weekend. Race well. Stay safe, won't you, with Kyle Army? 
Uh, great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's Paul Williams from uh, the, the Direct Motorsport for Bentley's talked to me earlier in the week. Nick Damon is uh, with me and uh, was listening uh, to that. Uh, he's had his pudding. It's marvellous. He's fine. He's fine. Uh, interesting that, particularly what he was saying, I mean, you know, what is it? Seven years, he said, that GT3 has been around now. So it's it's run its course. They're going to keep... Two, two body styles, of course. Of course, yeah. They're going to keep supporting the customers. Uh, as Ted the Toyman says, disappointing that Bentley Racing won't be back to defend Bathurst, but they are going out on top. The, no Bathurst 12 no. next year, of course. We, we know that. And, and by the way... Um, that we delayed just for Ted the Toy Man. So if there's anybody to be late, yeah. to, to to blame, it's him. So he got up, he got up late today and found he hadn't missed anything. He's he's speaking to us from the future, of of course. I thought Paul's comments about the future. You know, they're looking at everything. Of course they are. But if Bentley are going to be an electric brand, with their first all electric car five years away, the whole brand being electric by 2030. Surely, if they're going to do something motorsport, then, you know, hybrid, they already have hybrids. Surely, hybrid now moving to electric racing later, at the very least? It makes sense. I mean, the question really is whether Bentley, as a brand and as a the volumes they sell, can support stroke justify a motorsport program. Because yep. the obvious motorsport program for them to indulge in is some form of probably LMGH now rather than hypercar because LMGH is so much cheaper. Um, you know, I suppose the, the only downside on LMGH, I think, you know, which obviously Audi have got over themselves about, is it is very, very slightly H. It's not very H at all, is it really? You know, it's but token now, H. It's token H at the moment. And I think that's... that's it's small H. Small H, just 40 horsepower H. Mm. Um, but... You know, given the fact the model now appears to that be mild hybrid, mild hybrid. Yes, yes. It sounds like there were these terrible, like cigarette adverts in the seventies. You know, have a mild hybrid. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> just affect my throat. Uh, but no, you know, Audi obviously th- th- this week announced that they're going to sell customer LMDHs as well, and that obviously fits into the GT3 model where you've got a bit of a bit of works under the counter with um, Retail, but then you've got customers. And why couldn't that work for LMDH for for um, mm. Bentley as well? Because remember, of course, Bentley are part of the AG Group, and they have to. You know, plough their own furrow and they don't want to do they want different brands racing against each other well that's not true I don't think that's true no I, do they didn't they right? I, don't, no, I, I, I think and we, we've talked about this before um, a couple of uh, Volkswagen AG brands will uh, Volkswagen themselves hugely going electric but they've already said uh, thanks but no thanks to motorsport they've backed out of everything now I yeah, which, which I mean, I the, we had the, the TCR cars rationalising first, didn't we? Well, and, and again, it was the Volkswagen uh, that went just, first. And then they added in the Justin Seat. They were the still, same anyway, to be honest. But, the Audis sorry. are still being supported. Yeah, I mean, but, but, so not, but not developed. And, and, well, and sooner or later, even with the balance performance, they fall behind. Um, so is, is it a one Oh, brand? by the way, just to prove we're live, it's 1-0. Oh, just 1-0, yeah. Yes, just. Um, but it's yeah, yeah. I think I obviously I think we where we'd like to see them is running an MGH program in uh, in everything they can. Uh, but make both sense. I'll be Green Bentley going maybe fantastic. It's all again. It's got to be worth them looking at. If Audi are looking at it, LMDH, it's got to be worth Bentley looking at it because there were there will be customers yeah, for those and cars. In motorsport terms, it's not that expensive, and you can sell them. Yeah, you know, it's not the cubic money we used to see with, with a Le Mans. 
effort from Audi. I mean, whether when, whether when they get there to the Mon itself, they can compete with the pure hypercars, it'd be questionable. Also, the absolutely fine IMSA because it's a top level. Yeah. Um, well, eventually it'll be top level in in uh, ACO because nobody nobody else is going to build a hypercar now, are they? No, but how much of an advantage is Toyota going to have? Yes. <laughs> well, uh, and yeah, there was there was a shrug of shoulders there. Add spectatorium, please. Nick says the formula for Le Mans needs to be developed to support the progression, the transition to zero carbon outcome. The return of an index of thermal efficiency would be appropriate. Someone needs to sort of hydrogen out. It's been well, but, but see, I I've said this week already that that you know I I'm still wondering what Peugeot are going to do. Peugeot have gone very quiet again. And I don't think Peugeot are going to have a hypercar, despite the, set, the fact they've said we're going to have a hypercar. <laughs> I, I think that they, um, they, will, they will fall on their let me corporate throw, let sword. Let me throw another question at you. Do you think Alpine will come in at LMDH? Yes. Absolutely, I do. Well, Alpine are in next year, aren't yes, they? Yes, but as a grandfather. With, car. A, with a grandfathered rebellion. Because like I, mean, I can't rebellion. see Alpine particularly wanting to go to IMSA. There's no real flow Yet. for that product in the States. Yet. Yet. Mm. We've seen what niche things can do with a Barth, with a Bart and uh, at various other yeah. performance I, 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 brands, I the N brand for Hyundai. Yeah, no, I, I know you say, I mean, it's, 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 it's just the cars that don't think are sold in North America, are they? Alpines no. and the Renaults. Renaults, no. So, yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's interesting because it, what has happened is from, I think it has to be said from a, a feeling of depression, yeah, ignore COVID, just a few depressions, these rules were rankered over and, and never really worked out. Suddenly everyone's feeling a bit optimistic that we're going to actually end up with, you know, several manufacturers and hopefully also customer teams running manufactured cars. And this might not be very politic to say this, but I think that possibly the only good thing that's come out of COVID is that people have said, we have to have a global formula. We have to have something that works for everybody. And I want... To, look at Audi. You know, Audi have, have done that complete 180. We want to be able to a race a car where we can run the Rolex 24, the Mobile 112 Hours of Sebring, the Motul Petit Le Mans, and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And we can do that with one car. I don't think it's great news for the WEC because I can see people picking and choosing as they do with GT3 racing. Yes, there are some championships that people follow, mm. but what really people, what the majority of particularly customers do, is say, let's just go and pick the nice races that I want to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Unless, unless you have a customer who wants to be a world champion, and there, and there will, will be those. No, I mean, it, it looks, I mean, obviously, Audi are 2023, so we've got you know, a couple of years of struggling through and, and rancor and arguments to come. Uh, Purchase 2022, isn't it? Uh, officially at the moment, or that's what they originally Yeah, because they want to have a year before they win the 100th Le Mans, yeah. 100th anniversary Le Mans. So, uh, you know, it, odd, given that what you would expect, given the, the global situation, but things are looking quite bright, aren't they, in the in the world of... Uh, but it's, it's because sense has taken over, and people have stopped talking about F1 budgets, and are now talking about, effectively, um, you know, a P1 Rebellion budget, will run an MDH. It, it, it's still a healthy budget, don't get me wrong. I was going to say, still a lot more than people are spending in IMSA at the moment. Uncle Kevin says, Peugeot not showing up again. Did I put my international fear, not surprise face down somewhere? I, I, no, I, I, they'll be there. They won't not turn up. I, 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 don't think, I don't think that we won't see them. I just think that they 
are they have to be looking. They have to be looking. They cannot get on the wrong side of the regulations. They cannot get on the wrong side of the regulations. And as much as Peugeot are... Pro- okay, I'm going to argue against myself here a little bit. I enjoy that. Um, <laughs> Peugeot are probably the only team who can justify building a car just for Le Mans because they're French and because of their history um, and, and their struggles with the race in the past. It worked for Ford. It worked for Ford. Ford built the Ford GT. They got the waivers. They were allowed to compete. They won the anniversary race. And that car ended up racing elsewhere and actually being quite competitive. But that car was built solely to win Le Mans. Peugeot could probably corporately get away with doing that. And if they won the 100th Le Mans, 100th anniversary Le Mans in 2023, they'd be given the freedom of France and some of their fish. Well, they're not really if they have, fish, they actually they? won't have any fish by then, will they? Um, this from uh, this from oh, who, excuse me, I'm going to have to scroll down again. again yes, uh, Rob Chalmers being very sensible. I think we need a calorific specific energy version of Group C, which would allow for different energy types. You've heard me talk about this before. Uh, look, Paul Lord Drayson and I talked about this years and years ago, and what we always said was. The way to get motorsport to really, really help in the real world was to keep taking uh, uh, taking resources away. And that's exactly what LMP1 Hybrid did. Mm-hmm. And look at how much more energy efficient those cars became. Look how much more aero efficient those cars beca- became. Look how battery technology was pushed on. We've got to do that again. We've got a formula. We've got to find a formula in motorsport. And endurance motorsport is the right place to do it. Because as I said to Paula there uh, on on Monday, it takes away the the single biggest issue for most people with electric cars is range. Mm. Even if they don't actually need it, they convince themselves that they might on the odd numbered years when they drive down to Cornwall from Aberdeen or up to Aberdeen from the Isle of wherever. Yes, I, I think said it's quite close, though, isn't it? <laughs> no, yeah, it's yeah, across yeah. the country. <laughs> not um, really far away really Certainly, you could they, do they, it on the range of an electric car. They, they, <laughs> they, they decide they need it. If, if, you have, if you have the 24 hours of Le Mans with electric vehicles, and gradually, as they did with LMP1 hybrid, if the ACO took away the amount of fuel that they were allowed to use, which is exactly what happened, and they kept the speed up. Yes, they came into the pits more often, but my goodness, they were still breaking lap records. They developed the hybrid. And anything that they, any, the thing that, that we always talked about, that I always talked about with Paul Lodrison, was anything that you get for nothing. So anything you regen, any solar power, anything that is, that is not going in there. Anything from the wind turbine that you're plug. towing behind you. Yes, on a small caravan. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All of that is free. That is that is so outside. What you're advocating is a massive sale. They'll tack down the Bolsan. <laughs> Get your spinnakers I, I out. Don't see it. Don't see it. <laughs> well, you, do you know, know, you know, know he's, he's got experiences of, a, of, a, of you know of a America's Cup car now, so he can do that as well. Yes, do you know that's the average uh, length of a car journey uh, in the UK? Eight miles. Eight miles. Eight point four miles, in fact. But yeah. it gets longer. That miles out the way. It gets yes. uh, longer if you've got um, passengers. Really? Yeah, people carrying passengers, their average journey 
is yeah. nine miles. But that, yeah, but hang on, that includes um, school runs. Yes. My my average my average journeys are forty to forty to a hundred miles. I don't get the car out to go no, just to go round the corner. Well, since I have recently bought a car, which is actually not a recent, seven or eight weeks, I've only done 400 and 500 miles in it, of which my average journey is, uh, what, 72, no, sorry, so 68 miles there and back to here, which I've done, what, five times now? My trip to the supermarket is 14 miles each way, but uh, if I'm, without trying, I can easily make that into a 70 mile round trip, (laughs) which is what I try to do every week, (laughs) every fortnight. Half of the cars in the UK could be replaced with electric uh, vehicles and nobody would notice because... Except the the people who... Except we don't have the charging infrastructure for it right now. But you wouldn't need to because the average person is doing 151 miles a week. Ah, but the problem you have to realise is that this is a lot of this is based on this concept of everyone having a lovely house and a lovely garage. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not doing many miles but you're parked on the street, how are you going to charge? Well, around here, the street lights have got uh, charging points built into them. So as long as you don't park on a corner where there aren't any uh, street lights, obviously, and actually where you're not allowed to park well, legally, we've moved away from. We've uh, moved away then from. Then you can plug into one of those. <laughs> uh, uh, Nick easy. says, "I thought we had." We, uh, Nick says, "I thought we had prototype convergence. IMSA are the ones that have reneged on that and denied a world top category. That's not true at all, Nick. IMSA have absolutely not reneged on it." Uh, uh, DPI 2.0, LMDH, whatever it's called for the moment. Um, that was an IMSA concept. It's been uh, accepted by the ACO. And we're still waiting to see the first uh, hypercars and LMDH to know how we're going to balance the performances of them. Um, and there's nobody reneged on it. Everybody's still moving towards the same thing. I think it's just when people look at LMDH, it's, it's rendered what people call hypercar, uh, LMH, actually. Um, that's just called LMH. Is it? Um, yeah, LMH. Uh, it's rendered it somewhat pointless. All six versions of it. Because there's... <laughs> the ones that don't have any hybridization at all. Well, there's, there's road car with hybrid, without hybrid, uh, with a stock engine, without a stock engine, and then race versions with hybrid, without hybrid, and with stock engines and without stock engines. Actually, so that's more than that. Mm. So they've got to balance that to start with. Anyway. There'll uh, only be one entrant in each category, so it'll be so easy. Uh, and for those who heard the bang in the background, that was Nick knocking the clock over. Time fell. Mm. Time pushing on. So let's, <laughs> m- let's, uh, let's move on. Um, shall, we do, let's do, shall we do still to come no, right now? Okay. We shall well, stay with sports cars. Um, right. And we've spoken a lot, haven't we, John, about what is wrong with the World Endurance Championship? Uh, not really. Yes, we have. We I had a conversation about it a couple of weeks ago. Not on air, but... Oh, OK. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the, the World Endurance Championship. It's just sitting in a... It's, it's a bit like when it, it gets foggy at Heathrow and everybody's in a holding pattern over Slough. That's what the WAC is at the moment. Is that bad, surely? Well, the ACO believe that what is wrong is that qualifying is too long. Right. Uh, They've changed it. So from next season, qualifying is going to be shorter. They're going to take out the requirement for two drivers to do a lap, aren't they? Yes. 
which is interesting because that's exactly what IMSA are putting in and making qualifying longer. <laughs> so uh, uh, WC qualifying will be 10 minutes. Right. Wow. Um, it's well, turn the engine on. It's, well, it, it takes you longer than that to warm up an engine. And it, uh, uh, if you're car. in LMGT AM, then it must be done by a bronze driver. Bronze? Yes. Wow, okay. Hope for me yet, then. Uh, <laughs> and the fastest time of the car will determine its position on the grid. Wow, really? Yeah, mm. so they've just gone back to basics. So is it going to be, what, four lots of ten minutes? or just one? No, ten there are two lots all? of ten minutes. One for one LMH and LMP2 and one for LMGTE Pro and AM. That's two laps at Spa. That's two flying laps at Spa. Mm. Well, I suppose it's the same on tyres, isn't it? If you don't set a time, you start at the back. Not at the back of your class, at the back. Yeah. That's that's not smart, because that's no. not safe. No, because if you've got a LMP1 car that's not set a time, it's going to try and trow, trow through 18 AM and Pro cars as quickly mm. as possible. I don't I don't see any advantage in that. Mm. They are separate races happening, happening on the same race track. Yeah. Yeah. Don't disagree with that. Uh, there's a new class as well. Come on. Uh, oh, yeah, they, the they subdivided um, LMP2 AM class. Oh, uh, really? That's yeah. interesting. But that isn't, that's that's the sort of thing that they won't effectively add separate points for. It's just a separate line when you feel the best person at points. You don't, it isn't, yeah. isn't a separate you points. Get, you get your own it's podium. not a separate championship. You, you go onto the podium, but you don't get a separate point scoring. Yeah, it's like. Um, all right, so so it's like the best privateer cup, which they used to have. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and uh, IMSA still have uh, the Terminator awards for that. So if in a race of ten cars, if the first six cars were all quote LMP2 Pro cars, yeah. and seventh, eighth, and ninth were all AM, they would still have their own podium, podium, but they would only get points for seventh, eighth, and ninth in class. Yes, correct. That's yes, like how I understand it. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I think so it's, it's not a separate the, championship. I think it's only separate the awards, winning though. AM car, so the one in seventh that will get to go onto the podium. All right, so that three. stands on the little fourth place thing on off the little to the side, on the little plinth to the right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Understood. And they've uh, introduced some cost-saving measures as well. Oh, now, will what? they actually Are save, they save costs? costs? I think these might save well, some f- costs. Fewer events that'll save costs. They, they've obviously got fewer events. Um, but they are restricting the number of staff you can take to an event. Yes, to how many? 40. <laughs> 40. Unless you're I running Ian... a hybrid, in which case it's 43. Is that per car? Yes. Yes. So a two-car team could have 86 if you're running two hybrids. Yes. Ian Biggerton said... Uh, this... Okay. Do you remember Ian Biggerton? Yeah. yeah. I, Ian Biggerton, I saw when he, he just... Forty question mark, and then words that I can't say on the radio. A lot of those teams are running on eight to ten, aren't they? Perhaps a dozen, I suppose, with Le Mans. Fine. I know if you on. don't have to take forty. You could. No, 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 no. If you currently run a team with just thirty. Seems fair. I think. I mean. <sighs> In the in the heyday of Audi, they had just under a hundred people running two cars, um, and then it 
burgeoned out and, and got bloated to the point where... But there were only three cars, weren't there? Certain the engineers at Le Mans were saying to me, I can't get my jobs done for tripping over people and I don't know who any of them are. <laughs> They've t- you know, there's 25 extra people turned up this week. Well, I can't for, to them because they might be important. Yes, for strategy and, and stuff. And I still have to get me your cup of tea, you know. Right, man. Mm. Uh, 40, eh? And um, at Le Mans, there is a new schedule for the week, which is now 10 days. Mm. Uh, because that's not, a, that's not a bad idea. Scrutineering will take place on the Friday and Saturday before test day. Which will be the week before the race. The yes. test day is the Sunday with the actual race on the race event starting on the Wednesday. So no, there was no test day this year, of there course. Wasn't. So they've reinstated test day, but they've pulled it closer to the event rather than it being um, a week, a dead weekend in between. I think that's really sensible. Um, it means that they can keep the road closures down to the same week. Uh, it does mean that scrutineering in the town, presumably it ever gets back to the town, um, then you know that would be done on the Friday and Saturday. That that's that's a swap from a Sunday and a Monday, so you still have one work day, one weekend day. I think it's really sensible. I think it's eminently sensible by the ACO to have done that. I really do. Do you think it will reduce running on Wednesday and Thursday when they've had eight hours so soon? I think the problem with that is it, you know, how much work you're putting into the car, and basically. Um, uh, there's there's two uh, there's there's a couple of advantages and a couple of disadvantages. Advantages that you're staying there for a short amount of time, absolutely, and that will save money. Uh, advantage is for the ACO, they will have more data in race week than just the qualifying sessions. So that hopefully will mean that we see fewer changes in the balance of performance between the end of qualifying and the race, particularly if they can make the test day feel important enough for people to drive flat out. Mm. The downside is that for people going there who are paying to go there, they want to go there and get their money's worth. So they'll want to pound round in the car on the Sunday. And effectively, you will have to strip the car down and rebuild it on the Monday and the Tuesday for Wednesday and Thursday, and then put your race engine and gearbox in on the Friday. Thing is, of course, all the work done on Sunday is out of the regulations of, you know, equipment you're allowed to use. So it's not not governed by the tyre regs, the tyre limits of the week week and everything else. And it's not, yeah, you know, nope, that's true. It's not governed by the engine or gearbox or anything else, or even the chassis. You can do what you like on the on the, the test day. Yeah, the mechanics they have to do a complete ground up rebuild over two days, but I'm sure they can do that. And not everybody ha- you don't have to go to the test day if you haven't got drivers to qualify. No, no. But it makes it much more likely people will be there because they're there already. Correct. Correct. I also think... But hang on, quick question though, because you have to have declared your drivers a long time prior to that. Well, that might change as well. Because normally you put your entries in um, now. With a named named first driver. one first driver. The uh, committee sits and makes the decisions... And that normally comes out second week, first or second week week of of Feb. Feb, Yeah. Yeah. And then once that's done, you have to pay the rest of the money and and then you turn up for the test. You see, what would be, obviously, what might be quite useful, I know it's a little bit, you you might get guys, you know, 
with a bit of budget, with a helmet, wandering around the Sunday looking for a ride. Yeah, well, could happen. Uh, it's Midweek Motorsport, Series 15, Episode 48. Bit of a different one tonight. Thanks for staying with us. Well done to Tim for uh, fighting the Gremlins. Although, as someone did point out, uh, the boss, in fact, uh, surely you always have to have Gremlins at Christmas. Is someone getting wet? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yes, nothing getting wet here at the moment. No, good. Uh, the groundsman's good. very particular about that. Yes. Just uh, to put right. that um, 40 people into context. Yes. Uh, next month, in fact, yes. literally next month, uh, is the 24 Hours of Dubai. Correct. And the regulations for that state that you're only allowed 15 people per car. Yeah. See, I think that's just not, gone up. I think not including your drivers. Correct. Correct. That was the difference. I think it's gone up to. I think it's gone up to twenty now. No, it's all, fifteen. All told. Uh, fifteen. Did, what did it go up from something else then? It's because gone I down. know that. Oh, I saw a thing saying it's gone up so that you could potentially take some sponsors. Uh, you're allowed to have oh. five VIPs with you. They're right. not including your allocation of team members. Ah, right. Sorry. So it was twi- that. Right. Okay. Yes. Okay. We were talking at cross purposes. Okay. So you've lost a couple of team members, but you can take some VIPs. Yes. Yeah. That was that was what I saw. Uh, also waiting for news about the non-championship Kravetnik race at Abu Dhabi the week after the Dubai uh, 24 hours, the Hankook 24 hours in Dubai. I saw a Facebook post saying they've got more than 20 entries. Yes, and and there is a back-up. Um, if if Abu Dhabi hasn't opened up the uh, to tourism and to visitors, the backup would be they would do a non-championship six-hour race at Dubai. The following. Yeah, I didn't realise until I read the uh, restrictions for this weekend's Grand Prix that actually the road between Abu Dhabi and Dubai is blocked. It's closed. Yes, it's closed. Yes, the border is closed. Yeah, yes. even though it's the same country, which is well, like, uh, the same different Emirates. I realise are you know like I suppose like. England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland here, you know, it's... it's, it's no, it's not like that at all. Well, it is, because it's, it's similar to the that. same flag. But anyway, yeah, so, um, yeah, well, I can't... It'd be interesting, there'd have a big change what's going on for to open up in, what, a month, wouldn't it? Well, we'll see. Well, yeah. uh, uh, right, let's tell but you what's happening... They're expecting l- to... Uh, they're expecting to uh, make an announcement over changes into entry into Abu Dhabi uh, at some time, but it might not be in time for the uh, Abu Dhabi six hours, which is now no, indeed. six weeks away. Correct. Uh, let's tell the listener what to expect this evening, um, because we'll we'll troll through. Um, uh, we've got... Do you want to still tell the jingle? Uh, well, uh, I, I, I was going to ask you a question about what happens next. Ah. after <laughs> Not next in this show, but after this show. Have we got a review show tonight? Yes, for the benefit of those people who haven't already heard it and who aren't planning to go to work at all tomorrow, uh, we are right. rerunning the MotoGP season review. Oh, that very short, light one. Yeah. Right, <laughs> so we haven't got another ACO one. I was uh, expecting Johnny and Bruce again this week. Don't expect to go to bed before about quarter past one. Right. It is worth a listen. It was very funny. Uh, yes. Right, let's, let's have the jingle then. Midweek Motorsport, where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour. Uh, your tweets, please, at Spectatainment. We'll have Shea Adam with uh, some American news, including IMSA uh, and some news from IndyCar. 
Uh, we've got Nick's team by team for the Formula One event of the weekend. Nothing happens, so it'll be really quick. Just another Mercedes engine win. They've won everything this year, having the bar one race, I think. Uh, two races, okay. Uh, but coming up next, uh, we have uh, news uh, from IMSA. Uh, and our big interview is Renger van der Zander on moving to Chip Ganassi, his new teammate, and the 2021 season. Renger van der Zander next on Midweek Motorsport here on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Delighted to report here on Midweek Motorsport uh, the news that came out, well, last week now, wasn't it, uh, that uh, we have confirmed Chip Ganassi racing uh, into the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for a full season. They're taking on a Cadillac and they're taking on a driver who very nearly won the championship in 2020. He joins us now. I'm delighted to say hello and uh, welcome to the show to Renga van der Zander. Renga, thank you for joining us. How are you, sir? Yeah, thank you very much, John. And um, I'm very good. Uh, very happy. I'm very happy the cat is out of the bag that people uh, yeah, know that I'm uh, racing for Chip Ganesi next week. And I'm, it makes me very proud. How long have you known? We, we thought you might be out of a drive. You might have been champion and been out of a drive. H- how long was this bubbling under? When I came back from... Petit Le Mans in Atlanta, basically the Wednesday after I was in Spa 24-hour race weekend, and I got the call from uh, Wayne Taylor Racing that they didn't need me for 2021 anymore. When we came to Sebring, I set up an arrangement, uh, and I set up my flights on Friday in Sebring to fly after the race on Sunday to Indianapolis to meet up with Chip Canassi Racing in uh, Indianapolis. And uh, it was a short night because I came home or came back to the hotel at two in the night flew out woke up at four flew out at seven to go to indianapolis and a full day at uh, at the factory there so uh, yeah um that was basically the time frame so it was very short altogether and the time frame of being dropped to being signed up again was very short fortunately you you've been with win and, and the team for, for quite a long time you've had a lot of success there with the cadillac you're a great driver, don't get me wrong. I'm not playing that down at all. But did that, do you think, work in your favour? And, and is that how you knew, because of the Cadillac connection, that, that, that Chip was coming into the championship? No, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I do have three years of experience with the car. So for sure, it must have been a big uh, topic for, for them as well. And I think um, um, when everybody knew I was out and available, I think um, um, there were a few talks with different teams. And most of them told me, like, hey, you should have come one month earlier to me and uh, I would have loved to take you on board. Um, but they obviously didn't have any any drivers yet signed up because they just got the program confirmed with Cadillac. And uh, being able, you know, having the experience in the car and um, uh, and the championship, of course, I think it, it was a, a really nice fit to, uh, to start talking to them and uh, make it work. How good is that Cadillac DPI? It's pretty amazing, to be honest. Um, I think it's the most successful DPI car in general anyway um, because they won the most and they had the championships and so on. But um, no, I think I think if you look at Sebring, for example, which is a very bumpy and rough place, uh, this Cadillac is just a dream to drive. And uh, I, I had the best comparison with uh, in two years ago where I was doing the same weekend. I was doing an LMP1 with Dragon Speed in the WC Championship. And then 
uh, also the Cadillac with Wayne Taylor Racing. I was doing the the IMSA Championship on the same track the same weekend. And you know, every time out of turn 17, when I was in the Cadillac before the bridge, I could go to full power. And every time I was almost straight lined again, I could go full power with the LMP1. That was how much of a difference it was. And it's it's in the damping, it's in the the engine how it actually gives up the power, how it gives the power to the to the gas pedal. I would say um, it's just so much control and so much uh, gentle to drive and. To still make the best lap time out of it, you still have to do a lot of work. And setup-wise as well, it's not always the easiest car. Um, but we, yeah, especially in the last three years, we knew where to look for lap time and where to look on the setup, how to make it quick. And, um, you know, most and the most important thing is it's bulletproof. It knows how to how to keep running without any issues. Goes to prove, doesn't it? And I've talked to a few people about this who run LMP2 in the the WEC and the LMS, but it does go to prove what a very good basic platform all of those LMP2 chassis are. They're hamstrung to a certain extent, Renger, by having to run spec suspension. Um, And obviously they all have the same engine as well. But what a chassis all of those P2 tubs must be to be able to be developed by Cadillac, Mazda, Acura, all of those guys. They're nearly as quick now on some of the uh, some of the IMSA circuits as the old Audis and, and Peugeots were when they had a thousand and twelve hundred horsepower. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And I think I think the drivability of these cars are really, really good. It's it's first of all because it's also driven by gentlemen drivers, good amateur point. drivers. Um, so they have to be gentle and they have to be able to drive it not so much knife edge. Um, but I think also uh, it just a lot of the development that came from Orica or the Lara from those uh, fast LMP1 cars were put into these LMP2 cars and then for a very cost effective uh, way. But, you know, it also shows how good this DPI setup is where you can get a manufacturer engine and a standard LMP2 car and tune it up a little bit on the on the visuals and you have a fantastic uh, brand to showcase their abilities on track. So it's really cool. Well, and, and it is the right way. Um, I know you are, as Jeremy Shaw would say, a student of the sport. You're an enthusiast for all all motor racing. And you and I have had this discussion before in Marion's. Um, hello, Marion. Hello, uh, Sandra. <laughs> hope you're, you're, you're fitting well. Um, and I hope we can, we can come back and do this again. But it has to be the right idea. I know you're a driver, and sometimes people forget about the drivers, but you do look at the sport. It has to be the right way to get a global prototype formula call it lmdh call it dpi 2.0 whatever you want to call it but it seems as though everybody's fallen in behind the imsa idea which is effectively that dpi 2.0 that we've been talking about for a for a while that's got to be good news for you as a driver and for all of us as enthusiasts yeah exactly i mean it's, it's fantastic it doesn't matter which car at the end we're all racing uh, you know let's let's put it that way if you I had a Volvo Cup race in Zandvoort one day, and I had the most fun of uh, one of my best races. You know, one of the funniest races I've ever done. It doesn't matter how fast we are if the show is good and if the racing is good, and we are having very good drivers in these kind of category classes. And uh, um, you know, bring the cars that they are more or less equal speed, and bring down the budgets to to make items of the car. Uh, available for everyone, then, you know, why would you spend so much money if you can still showcase it with that kind of a speed and, and so on? Your start in motor racing, Renga, was fairly traditional. You came up through Formula Renault in your, your home country of the Netherlands and, and you did the German 
and Nordic series as well. And German Formula 3, I think, for a year, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I, I remember you in Air 1 GP. When was that? Or yeah. 06 you got into 07. that? that was... Yeah, 06, 07, yeah. Yeah, that, that's when you sort of came to more general notice. And then it was Formula 3 Euro series and things like that for a couple of years, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah, two years of Euro series, one year of British, and then... Um... Uh, one year of GP3 was, which was horrible, and then somehow I got into a DTM drive <laughs> uh, with Mercedes in 2011. So yeah. Now, was your year in British F3? Was that the year that Danny Rick won the championship? You should have been second that year, shouldn't you? Yeah. The thing is that I, it's a, oh man, I still get people um, phoning me up about that championship. Uh, it was pretty amazing. So. Walter Grubmuller, who was in the high-tech race team, uh, Formula 3, they um, they had two cars signed on, and they only had one driver. So after the first race weekend, I missed that one. Mm. Um, they called me up and said, hey, do you want to help out Grubmuller? But the only deal is, we'll pay for everything. It's just that when he's behind you, you have to let him, bu- let him by. <laughs> um, so I had many races where I was leading the race, and Walter was, for example, fourth place, and I had to drop back behind him. And then uh, I was... I think Daniel Ricciardo and I had big fights on track, which was really fun. I mean, the guy was in his first year of Formula 3, so it was very clear he was doing very, very well. Um, but we we did have great fights on track, and uh, even Max Chilton was there. There was some invitational drives where Jules Bianchi, Sam Bird, and all those hmm. other hot shots came by. But um, And then the last race of the championship, they said, Renger, we don't need you anymore because yes. you're second in the championship and Walter is third, so he needs your points. See you later. <laughs> so that's how it goes sometimes in I- motorsport. And looking back, I'm happy how Ricciardo got uh, got his career done as I say you should have been second you could have won the championship as I'd forgotten about all those machinations of you dropping back I've got a feeling I might have seen you in British F3 when I was following some other other guys but I know definitely I saw you race in Spa in that bizarre Lola Lotus Collis car yeah. which I think you yeah. only raced that once and that was at Spa in 2012 was that that was 2012. Very, very well known by you. Uh, I mean, the thing was that uh, I came out of DTM and didn't have any drive. Um, and I got one, you know, Collis, uh, you can say about him what you can say, but uh, he always gives people a chance. And uh, he did that with me as well. I didn't have any drive and he put me in that Lotus car. And I think, you know, because of that, I met up with Mirko Schultes, yes. who is a German uh, amateur driver. And he basically, we didn't speak for a year um, after that Lotus thingy and then he called me up do you want to drive for me in uh, Laguna Seca with an LMPC car and yeah. I in the meantime I started a business for insurance racing car insurance uh, going and we I was I was going very well with that and I, I said to Mirko well I basically stopped racing um, I don't think I'm coming and um, <laughs> I was like well it's Laguna Seca it's uh, it's America it's pre- I've never been to America before I was like man I have to do this so I bought a bought a ticket 1500 euros that's the only thing he asked me to pay for and uh, I went there and since then I've been racing in America and America is my new home of racing so uh, really good had you almost given up on on a career as a professional racing driver by then I knew I know you hadn't given up on on racing as such but it looked like y- your career had stalled a little bit in fairness well John very clear my career was done I had a little <laughs> bit of a salary in 2011 with DTM when that stopped I kind of tried to hang on to it, 
But uh, you know how these careers go in Formula 3. There's a lot of money involved for young drivers. And we at home, and, and my parents didn't have the money to pay for that. So we got some investors, you know, sponsorship, all that. So actually, I owed money to people in 2012. So I started the business with the insurance uh, for race cars. And that's when I said, okay, I'm not a race car driver anymore. I'm doing an insurance business. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I basically stopped racing. Um, but then after that, uh, because of speaking to all the teams in the paddock about their race car insurance, I started to talking to them and they said, well, why don't you drive for me? I, I would love to have you in my car. And I said, well, I'm happy to drive your car and I'll pay my own hotel and, uh, and, and, and flight at that point. <laughs> so, and that's how we got started again and look where we are now. So it's, uh, it's amazing how things sometimes there's, there's never a straight line path in no. motorsport. From that first race then, when you went there, first time in the States, you say, you go to Laguna Seca, West Coast, probably fly into San Francisco. My goodness, that must have been a massive eye-opener because I remember when I first did that back in the late 90s, I, I couldn't believe I was there and you were getting to drive a race car as well. That must have been a massive, massive thing for you. Oh, it was. And, you know, um, even though I was very, very busy with the company and so on, I, I think I booked my flight on Wednesday and fly back on uh, on the Sunday because I couldn't lose any time. But I enjoyed that one so much. And, you know, you know, my my history in Laguna Seca when basically I, uh, I it was my first race in America. It was my first race back to I would my route to uh, professional racing. And I also had that move in the corkscrew also in Laguna Seca yes. in 2017 what landed me in uh, in the Wayne Taylor racing seat and we won that race. So there's always happened a lot on that side of the of the country for me. And um, um, like you say, you know, flying into San Francisco, driving down to Monterey is one of the most beautiful parts of yeah. America. Of America, it's just every 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 year I go there, it's almost like a little uh, yeah holiday. So uh, and then we get get to race nice cars as well. So. I totally uh, agree with what you're saying. Yep. How did you find then the United Sports Car Championship, subsequently IMSA, um, in, in terms of the atmosphere within the paddock, the racing itself, the officiating? I, I kind of likened it, Renga, to if we'd been motor racing in the 60s and 70s in Europe, it was very relaxed in the paddock, very professional on the track. I, I found it a very different atmosphere to the high pressure that I'd seen, particularly in formula paddocks in, in Europe. Yeah, no, uh, you sum it up really nice. And uh, sometimes, you know, the first time I, I told my dad how I was racing in the US and I said, it's almost like club racing. Yes. It's almost the atmosphere of a club race, but then the professionality of, uh, I would say, close to uh, the, the highest level next of Formula One. And Good I point. think um, also the manufacturers who are involved there, the the bosses, uh, who come to those race track, tracks, they do have to go to Marion's to get food, mm. uh, which is a tent where everybody goes to. You know, you're not sitting in your iron tower, uh, like, for example, in DTM, where they have hospitalities bigger than many houses. Um, it's all about, you know, they bring the, the tent, they bring the car, a toolbox, let's go racing. And um, uh, it's one of the best racing in the world, in my opinion, because of the multi-class racing, because of the tracks we go to, which are kind of old school, which I like a lot. Uh, and then the atmosphere within the paddock, you see each other, you meet each other, you, you're having fun racing together. That's interesting you bring that up because one of the things that we noticed this year 
covering the races for, for IMSA Radio um, here on Radio Show Limited. Um, obviously, not everybody was uh, was able to mix anymore. There was no centralised catering with, with Marion and, and, and Sandra and everybody yeah. like that. And it seems that things on track, to my eyes, were a little bit different. Uh, there was a little more aggression than I've seen for a long time. Yeah, po- right. possi- yeah. Possibly a, a, a little less respect. And somebody... Somebody said, I think it was Shea, uh, said to me in one of our uh, Michelin post-race tech shows, you know, a lot of stuff that happens on the track gets sorted out the next race at breakfast when somebody's standing in line for their bacon or their coffee uh, and there's a chat between two separate teams because you can't go and hide away. Uh, And that was missing this year. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, also in DPI, I think uh, people in the Rani made quite a bit of big moves which uh, ended up with some tears. And I think... You're right about that. You know, uh, sometimes it goes to social media, and that's what happens in Europe as well, where everybody is in their own pit box. Um, at the U.S. racing in Inside, you see each other in the paddock, you see each other in Marions, and that was not the case because we were all staying in the same bubble. And I think, you know, if you if you have a move that didn't work out properly, if you say something on a WhatsApp or on a, on Instagram or Twitter, it's a completely different story than the next day at breakfast where. Hey, let's go racing again mm. this afternoon, and we'll we'll sort it out in a nice way. And I think you took, you guys are seeing that the right thing, and I think you see all the races on TV, and um, I think you you judged it very well. I think that's the case. I, I want to talk about um, 2021 again in, in a second, which is the main reason that we've got you on and, and your teammates and your new team with Chip Ganassi Racing. But I've got to ask you one thing. This is a question that I asked Alex Verts many years ago for the for the same reason. I think you know Alex's dad and your dad were both very, very successful rallycross drivers. And I said to Alex yeah. one of the first times I did a long interview with him, so with all you've achieved and everything else, is your dad still a bit disappointed with you that you never went into rallycross? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, maybe he is. I mean, my dad, I think he was on a, on a bit of a different level than Alex Wurz's dad. But um, the, the thing is that, Getting into motorsport is not easy, and it's it's my dad found his way into motorsport through rallycross. So for sure, that will stay forever with him, uh, and how things uh, how you can get things to work within motorsport. And I learned a lot from him mm. because he did it in the past, and for sure, Alex must have been the same. And I think you know that mentality of um, uh, getting dirty hands to go racing. Yes, it's a whole different uh, mentality that uh, you see with kids at the moment. But there are still some people and some kids who are doing that together with the dad. And I think the whole journey of doing that with your dad, like Max Verstappen did with his dad yes. or uh, many other race car drivers, they went they went completely crazy on driving through all Europe every day of the week, more or less, uh, to go karting all over and getting ready for, well, in Formula 1 at 17 years old. And I think I had a different path because, for sure, my dad didn't want me to go racing because he knew what kind of a drama it would all give and how difficult it is to get there. But... Yeah. Um, um, I mean, Rallycross, uh, I never tried it, but uh, maybe I should. It's a good point. We should say, by the way, that, that it's it's Ronald, your dad, isn't it, uh, Renger? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, he was Dutch national Rallycross champion in, in the late 70s. I've just looked it up, actually, 1978. I was just waiting, playing for time there as it came up. 1978. So ha- had some success. Let's bring you back, because I've taken up a lot of your time. As we're talking now, you're looking forward to... The Kyalami nine hours. It's it's been a pretty good year actually, where uh, we were the only Honda NSX on the grid, 
Um, and I think we were taking it up to, you know, Mercedes with X amount of cars, Audi, Bentley with a few cars. And, you know, going in there with one shot, our car, we did well. We did finish ninth on the 24-hour spa. We finished third in Indianapolis. Uh, so we want to finish out with a big, big high in Kailami. And I don't think the grid is going to be so big. So um, that may be unfortunate for, for the competition. Um, but uh, it also means that we need to... Uh, make sure that we win that race. So uh, that's what, what the goal is. <laughs> that weekend, your new full-season teammate, Kevin Magnussen, and welcome back to the Magnussen name in IMSA, will be making his last appearance in Formula 1. What do you know about him and how do you think he will adapt to sports car racing? Yeah, I think I think it's a good question. Um, um, uh, one thing to start with is that the Danes, he's from Denmark, and we from Holland, from the Netherlands, we're kind of similar, and mm. I think that's uh, quite straightforward. Uh, let's go racing and have fun in doing that. And I think I know Kevin from when he was in Formula Three in German Formula Three. I was I was a little bit involved with the motor park team that he was oh, yes. uh, racing at the time, so I know him pretty well. Uh, and I think the other point, the third point, is that his dad has been racing in IMSA for many years, so there's no doubt that Kevin was following all those IMSA races. And I think he has much respect, maybe more respect than other drivers who come from Formula 1 maybe for this championship because how he knows how cool it is. And who's going to be the endurance driver with you for Chip Ganassi, with you and Kevin? Well, it's not decided yet, so oh, I'm not okay. sure what's going on with that, but uh, Scott Dixon obviously is a, you know, oh, he won point. 50 races with uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, so I guess, you know, and he was my teammate last year as well in Wayne Taylor Racing in uh, Daytona, we won together, Sebring we finished second, was it? No? Uh, Sebring, oh, no, Sebring was the last one. Petit mm. Le we finished uh, first. So we won the first two races together. Um, and Scott is such a cool guy. I mean, um, you know, if you if you want to talk about legends in the sport, he's still racing. He's one of them. And uh, not only for what he's doing on track, but also the personality is off track. He's such a cool guy. And I would love to have him, on, him with, in my car, but I think, you know, it makes sense that he's there. But I, I have not heard any decision yet. Not too long since we had uh, Chip Ganassi in the IMSA paddock. Such a big name in motorsport. They've got experience in the championship. How are they going to? How quickly are they going to have to adapt to this this Cadillac DPI? You know, I've been to their factory. If you look around their factory, they know how to pit stop practice. For example, they have a, <laughs> a, a you know they have a special space for that. They know they have a flashback. They have a machine shop. They have a a strength test for the monocoque. So I think within the first week, the car came rolled into the shop. They completely stripped it and had a lot of information about what the tub was and all that. So I think they're running on a level that maybe in IMSA, um, uh, not all the teams have. So I have no doubt that they will, um, they're all up to speed before we know. Um, and I have full, full confidence that they, uh, that they have a fast car from the beginning. And on top of that, they have a very good relationship with the Lara who is the builder of our Cadillac car. Good point. Um, so I'm pretty sure that, and also the experience they have with traction control, for example, in, in IndyCar, um, you know, those kind of series, they go to such a high level on the electronics and the dampers, for example. They have a damper shop. Um, uh, within good. the Cadillac, the damping makes a big difference. So there's many, many factors of the car that they have, have in-house. They have a lot of experience from, from already IMSA, but also from IndyCar that they can bring into this program. So... I'm really looking forward to what they come up with and uh, the things that I might not, never seen before on my car. 
It was an odd season in 2020. Kudos to IMSA, all the promoters, the tracks, and you guys in the teams for getting the season completed. Did you enjoy those other races? I mean, how difficult was that for you guys to get your heads around what was, was going on in 2020? Yeah, I think I think you're right about uh, the kudos for, for IMSA, where, you know, I think they were first professional series back to racing anyway. Mm. Uh, you know, with people coming all over the world, traveling into the US, I think they did a very good job on making that happen. And then if you see it, you know, from the team's perspective, you had to be ready at any point because they could call up and say, let's go racing tomorrow <laughs> within two weeks. Yeah. So I think everybody involved in motorsport in the IMSA paddock did very well on um, um keeping on their toes and making sure that they are ready when to go racing. So, um, yeah, so from that, from that perspective, I think it was, uh, was a good job by everyone. And, uh, those short races, I, I, you know, I really like the long races like Daytona 24 hours, yeah. Sebring 12 hour, Petit just that little extra element to it. And also the fans. I mean, even though we didn't have maximum of fans there on the racetrack, it was still full of fans. And, uh, you know, that makes that little atmosphere, um, uh, for us to go racing hard and you know make it a, v- a really good event uh, with a little extra. But hey, at the end of the day, we didn't go to Mosport, uh, mm. which is one of the most fantastic tracks. Mm. Um, did we miss one other? But next year we're going to go back to those. So I'm also looking forward to go back there. You know, I'll finish up with, with a couple of thoughts. You've been to Le Mans three times. You've only finished once. So that I would assume for you is unfinished business. Oh, for sure. I mean. Le Mans, you know, it's it's an endurance classic. I won Daytona twice, and I would love to win Le Mans tw- uh, twice as well, or at least one time. So, um, you know, that's also uh, what brings the future. Let's see. Um, I will be also racing at Le Mans in 2021. So um, next year, next week, more or less, there will be news for me uh, that I'll be joining a team for that. Um, and um, yeah, I think it's a great up. You know, also a great preparation for when LMDH is starting which my eyes are obviously looking at best of luck at the weekend at Kyle Army can't wait to get back to the Raw before the Rolex 24 which is going to be a bit different this year because there's a qualifying session and a qualifying race there 100 minutes of, of racing are you looking forward to the 2021 season you're a pro driver and you know it's work it's easy sometimes to just get a little bit wrapped up in the fact that it's work and uh, I've got to get back on a plane again and I've got to get a higher car and all of that. Do you still look forward to going racing? Oh, more than ever, man. I, um, Good for I'm you. I'm a big fan of the sport. I'm a very passionate race car driver and I think, you know, getting paid for something like that, we are doing, uh, there's no complaints at all. I mean, those long flights um, all the way to America and back, I mean, uh, Whenever I jump on the plane, I'm like, hell yeah, let's go again. <laughs> Renger van der Zander, thank you very much. Congratulations on the, as you said, not the straight line, the long and winding road from your start in 2004-05 when you were in the Formula Renault Championship to championships in IMSA and more championships to come. All the very best, mate, for you and the team uh, for 2021. Thank you very much, and I love the interview with you, as always. Thanks a lot. Yeah, all right, no problems, man. Good luck at the weekend. Uh, Renga van der Zander, then, uh, just wonderful guy to talk to. Share. You, you talk about uh, was... his past, John. Yes. Reminds me that he was uh, one of the uh, 
questions in the original Call My Half, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Shea Adam was listening to that. That's why we've missed being trackside. That's why we've missed being in, you know, having a, a cup of coffee halfway through the day, or in your case, ice cream or whatever it is, um, at, at Marion's. <laughs> um, because you get the chance to sit down and half, have half an hour like that with, with people like Renga. And I've missed that. Oh, me too. And I, I have to give Renger credit where credit's due. He has been one of the best people, no matter what the series is, in keeping us informed of what's yeah. going on. He gets out of the car and immediately sends me a, a WhatsApp and lets me know what's going on. He's never shy about giving information or making himself available. And I really do miss just sitting down and chatting with him because, as you said, it's something that you just don't get when you're not actually at the track. And and you guys were talking about the experience of being in Marion's and how much he misses that. You, mm. you could hear that in his voice, Agreed. too. Agree. Uh, so it's him and Magnuson and probably Scott Dixon. We've spoken about that. We've been talking about Corvette. Uh, that got confirmed, I think, just after the show last week, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, so that is uh, Nick Tandy, which we were sort of knew about uh, and he's not the only Brit who goes to the All-American team. <laughs> exactly and to um, to set everything right with Fiona Miller I wasn't saying that Oliver Gavin was being replaced because he wasn't British enough or anything like that. No, <laughs> uh, Corvette Racing has decided to take on two British drivers with Alexander Sims the, being the second British driver to drive for that organization in an endurance role. He's going to be driving with Tandy and Milner in the four Corvette for the long distance races. The three car is still going to be Garcia, Taylor, and Katzberg. And as a matter of fact, all six of the Corvette racing drivers at Sebring International Raceway right now for day two of testing. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, Tandy's not that tall. Uh, Alex, Alexander is quite tall. I think about just add up the one Ollie Gavin between them. That's probably why the fact that yeah. that. Yeah, Other... and the problem is that Tommy Milner is tall. So, ah, yeah, point. we'll see. Good, good point. Um, Archangel, Magnus, we talked about that, but that's official now. It is. And to be honest, I'm quite surprised that this is the direction in which they chose to go. The, the Acura uh, GT3 car is notoriously physical is the word mm. I'll use, especially on the non-professional drivers. It takes every, every ounce of strength that you can muster in your leg to get it to the optimum braking performance time after time. So it tends to be a car that doesn't drive well for gentlemen drivers. You have to sort of have that endurance time after time. So far, we only know that it's Andy Lally and John Potter for Archangel Racing. I'm curious to see who their endurance driver is and then a course their daytona driver as well but that did strike me as a very interesting choice because they're coming from the lamborghini platform which is very friendly to gentlemen drivers yeah that is a good point actually um more news to come uh including the race for the chase for the cup for the roll uh 100 (laughs) minutes uh, which is being billed this is an addition uh we know we've got the prototype challenge race at the roll which of course has been moved to the week now before the Rolex did on a 24. This was a bit of a surprise. Came out of nowhere. Um, I've, I've got a theory about this after you've, you've talked, about, talked about it. So we have qualifying and then a qualifying race for IMSA WeatherTech at the Raw and then only practice at the race at the Rolex 24. Um, it's uh, 
Yeah. Interesting. It, it is. Um, if you read in the uh, email that was sent out last week, again, shortly after the show, it's an extra race. It's a qualifying race. So it, in, fe- in effect, is a 100-minute long, long race to set the grid. Two drivers will need to take place in this race out yeah. of your minimum of three if you're in the pro class or four if you're in the M class. They have haven't yet specified who needs to be those two drivers. I'm hoping it's the full season pairing if you are a full season entrant right, because point. that that eliminates sneaky silvers or, or whatnot people might want to throw in for whoever knows what. But the thing that's really interesting is this is a 35-point race because, of course, that's what you're awarded for winning the pole position. Yeah. So the Motul race, which will be 100 minutes, will only award 35 points if for a win, whereas a normal race, race will award 350 points for a win so how hard do you go a week before the rolex when your car is going to have to be rebuilt anyway but do you really want to risk everything for a qualifying race when the difference between first and last is well fewer points than you'll get from even starting the race in a normal situation yeah it's it's a good point uh it seemed to take one or two people by uh by surprise if i'm honest uh and even some of the teams that i had a quick chat with they're certainly weren't weren't expecting it and i've i've got a theory and i i'm going to say this now that this is absolutely only a theory i think this is a replacement to a race that they think might not happen huh i i could see that but the again the points payout is the big thing that leaves me wanting a little bit more and they can't really do anything beyond what they've already done because initiating this points payout for qualifying, you can't then say, okay, it's going to be that way for every race except this one, because Mm. then it doesn't really stay fair. But if we're talking about straight up race replacement, then this event would have to award 350 points, which then you're getting into messy situations. By the time we get to it, it might. I completely, well, but I don't think they will do that because then there's no other benefit for qualifying from this race. Do do you see what I'm and there's still a qual- I don't know. The, the thing have- is, there's still a qualifying ra- there's still a qualifying session for the qualifying race to set the grid. Yes, yeah, and that I don't think will be awarding points because that's not the Motul Pole Award. <laughs> then too many names, too many names. Uh, we'll have to see what happens when we actually do get there. But I completely agree with there. you, and in it's. It's a little bit of COA to begin with um, as for having this race because then it can be an extra race if yes. need be. Agreed. But we're still a month and a half away from it. I... So there isn't enough of a, a, a wiggle room. Remember how many uh, – 100 minutes. Where's the only place we do a 100-minute race? Uh, well, two places that we do 100-minute races. But, yes, you are correct in that. Yeah, Long that... Beach and Detroit. Yeah, think about – yes, but not everybody – and not everybody goes to either of those. And Detroit's now, as we were talking about earlier on, with Test Day moving, um, Detroit uh, and Test Day clash with that and with the Nürburgring 24. That's all the weekend before Le Mans. <laughs> uh, and, oh, and, of course, man. don't forget, the Detroit date that IMSA have got this year is not an IndyCar weekend. It's that a standalone. It's a standalone. So... Mm, so uh, I think huh. the 100 minutes is interesting. Uh, discuss at Spectatorment. Uh, let's stay with IMSA 
and uh, Jimmy Johnson driving for Paul Miller Racing in an all-star lineup for Rolex 24. <laughs> then I saw it. It said the number 48. That's Paul Miller Racing. <laughs> Heavens and, to and Betsy. Yeah. Genuinely, John, when I got the email saying Zoom call with the 48, I texted Brian Sellers and said, what are you doing? And he said, what do you mean? What am I? And then I read the rest of the email and went, uh, wait, what? Um, Paul Miller Racing has run the number 48 in IMSA competition unstopped since 2011. And as I understand it, they were asked if they would like to forego their race number for this one special event for Daytona to which the answer was nope thanks we're good we, we like our number and then a couple hours later a press release came out saying that Jimmy Johnson was going to be running the 48 I actually asked him about this earlier today on a zoom call and thanks to Nate Siebens for setting this up more people on this zoom call than I've ever seen on an IMSA zoom call because it was Simon Pagenaud Jimmy Johnson and Mike Rockefeller so there were a lot of people around and Jimmy even said you know, when I came to sports car racing, I was completely comfortable with the idea of running a different number. And initially I'd been told I would be in the number 31. Mm-hmm. Then I got a call from Jim France saying that I was going to be in the 48. And you know what? It, it's happy. I'm, I'm happy for it. And I'm very grateful. So it is interesting that this whole combination that along with Moi Kobayashi has come together from the top down of NASCAR to try and make this champion car at the front of the field. And yeah, the Paul Miller Lamborghini is not going to be 48 488 uh, in January. That's what I'm pushing for. Um, I've talked to the team manager about that or perhaps 048. Um, yeah. But it will be the 48 for the remainder, remainder of the, the championship. Yeah. It's just this one race. Yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Lots of stuff going on at uh, IMSA at the moment. Uh, Lexus, uh, what's going on there? Well, they're testing at Daytona right now, too. And I, I should say that that 48 and part of the reason that the um, Zoom call was able to happen earlier today is because they are also on track testing along with people Durrani in that car. But Lexus at the track with two cars. We know we've got the full season lineup of Jack Hawksworth and Aaron Tielitz. There's a lot of speculation about who's going to be in the second car. And because this is no longer aim Vassar Sullivan, but just Vassar Sullivan, the IndyCar ties are undeniable. And it looks like Zach Veach is in line for a full season ride in the Lexus, perhaps with another Road to Indy cast off. So that could be interesting. Keep your eyes open. Right. Uh, Cool. Uh, not now, of course, involved with running the the Porsches as they have been in the past. But uh, when we spoke to John at the end of last season, he was absolutely uh, positive that Core was going to continue. Gives them a bit of more wiggle room, as he said, a chance to do some other things. So we will see Core in 2021. They're back with the manufacturer that they should be with. And I, I say that not at all as a slant against Porsche, but merely in the fact that John Bennett and Colin Brown have had so much success running in Oricas. Mm. So they're going to be in the LMP3 car again for next year. They're they're coming back to IMSA, I should say. John never retired. He was very Correct. clear about that. George Kurtz is going to be their third driver for the endurance races. He's a guy that Colin Brown has a lot of experience running with in the uh, GT America's um, SRO. Why can I never remember the name of that series? Because it's too long <laughs> and it changes every week. That's why. Exactly. Well, he's running SRO. with George. Just say SRO. That's the overriding but, thing. That's the, that's the main thing. 
with SRO, thank you. Um, so George Kurtz is going to be joining them for the endurance races alongside Colin and John. But Matt McMurray is going mm. to be the endurance driver for Daytona. Now, why is this interesting? Two years in a row, the GTD champion who has come out of Meyershank Racing, having won the championship alongside Mario Farnbacher, winds up with no full season ride because he's available for Daytona and Daytona only. Yep. Good Reading point. between the lines there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hear what you're saying. Um, are you keeping up? We'll be asking questions later. I'd expect your team, by the <laughs> way, uh, for the end of this. Running a bit late this evening uh, because of uh, our slightly tardy start. Circumstances be out beyond our control. And thanks again to Tim for sorting that out up in London. No idea what he had to do to do this, but I have a strong suspicion that he's sort of leaning over at the corner of the room um, holding on to two ends of a wire to keep us going out. Switched uh, off and switched on again. That's well, what he did. It was really switched off and switched on. To, see, <laughs> I, I, it was longer than that, Tim. But uh, thank you for trying to play it yeah, down. Yeah, you do um, have to switch things on in the particular order, and if you get it wrong, in the right you have to order. switch everything off and start again. Which right, is why it okay. took so long because I don't know what uh, order it's supposed to be. Ted Giovannis was on the show last week talking uh, about their double duty. At the Rolex 24 Daytona GT3 as well as GT4, adding WeatherTech to Michelin Pilot. There was uh, a, a, more than a, a decent dropped hint from Ted last week. We had a bit of a speculation on it. We now know the four drivers. Owen Trinkler, the Plum Brothers, and Ted himself will be sharing the Porsche. And they have been testing this week as well, the Wright Motorsports slash TGM Porsche. Four and a half. Half hours is the minimum drive time for mm. the amp, well, for everyone in GTD, I should say. So that's quite a lot of time, uh, but it makes sense that they would stick to their core or four because they are a family. They are well established with one another, and they're not scared of doing the double duty with the four hour race on Friday and then the 24 hour race Saturday, Sunday. Uh, LMP3, Riley. Again, with this testing theme that's been going on at Daytona. We learned so much by just looking at names on race cars. It was announced earlier in the year that for Riley, uh, Jim Cox and Dylan Murray would be stepping up. In fact, they were the first team that was announced to run in the LMP3 category for WeatherTech. They are joined by Austin McCusker, the former LMP3 champion in the IMSA Prototype Challenge. He's going to be in with them for the long races. And Mr. Jay Bleekamolen has been testing with them for Daytona. And we were informed a couple weeks ago and i don't think we actually mentioned it on the show that ben keating and drove Blake mullen would not be driving together yes. in 2021 so their seven-year partnership has ended but at least your own hasn't left the riley side of the family uh, that's all people that we know are coming or we are adding to a team that we think won't be or know now that won't be at the rolex 24 and now i can talk about something I had a conversation with Richard Dean of United Autosports uh, with many weeks ago now when they were testing the GT4 cars at Snetterton when I was just sort of hanging out being a pain. Um, the, uh, they aren't going to be at the Rolex, either in GT3 or GT2. Uh, and from what Richard told me uh, those many weeks ago, that's all down to what drivers uh, they wanted to use. And the at the moment still... Uh, the reluctance of IMSA to change the driving regulations. Um, we were just talking about them changing or at least recognising an AM class in LMP2 in the uh, Le Mans and WEC competition. Um, 
I think that's had something to do with that. Uh, so what have we got for the... Sad to say, unfortunately. Uh, what what are we up to in terms of the Rolex, uh, as far as we know right now, Cher, in terms of entries? On my handy-dandy little top-secret spreadsheet <laughs> that I've got going, uh, I have 38 cars listed. Um, I would say most of them, probably 95% of them, have drivers listed against the names but i do have a couple that I, I have no drivers as far as i'm told yet but my sources deep inside imsa said that they've got more than 50 uh cars potentially that have expressed interest serious interest at showing up at the roar so we could have a very busy grid come january mm. i uh yes well uh, I, I, there's still so much up in the air uh at the moment with world events of course tim do you want to ask share about some other u.s news Yes, uh, three stories, really. And we'll start right. with uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, who wants to win the Indy 500 for a third time, and McLaren, who want to win the Indy 500 for a third time, getting together to uh, take part in next year's Indy 500. What, to try and win the Indy 500 for a third time? For a third time, yeah. <laughs> yes. Just, uh, uh, just greedy. So this is a one-off <laughs> at the moment for JPM and, uh, and uh, SPM... Uh, a spam, isn't it? Arrow, McLaren, Arrow, Schmidt, Peterson. Arrow, Schmidt, Peterson Motorsport? No, Arrow, McLaren, SP. A-M-S-P. It really should be S-P-A-M, shouldn't yeah. it? Uh, it should. It should. That and then would we could get the cans of food. Wonderful. Wonderful spam. Um, this is <laughs> uh, this is an interesting story because, you know, um, he two wins already. Uh, for for JPM and uh, going back to single seaters, you see that working? Oh, well, he's he's got a very busy year ahead of him. Yeah. Does Juan Pablo Montoya after losing the full season ride in the IMSA? Other Tech Sports Car Championship when Acura Team Penske stopped running. He's now the endurance racer with um, Meyer Shank Racing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Dane Cameron can't uh, can't. Can't lose his old teammate. So it's uh, Dane Olivier for the full season and then Juan in for the endurance races. So that's Daytona, Sebring, Petit, and potentially Watkins Glen if they determine that they need that. He's got an uh, WEC program, I think it is. I was going to say ELMS, but I think it's WEC. Correct. He's definitely got a ride at Le Mans. And now we're looking at an Indy 500 start as well. So the month of May for Juan is going to be completely occupied being up in Indianapolis. And not to mention his son, uh, Seb, is also doing a lot more in single-seaters in Europe. And he is very much uh, a cart dad without the negative connotations. He loves going to his son's races and being there and being a part of things. So it's a very busy year for Juan. There's no signs of slowing down whatsoever. I don't know how he's going to fit back in with the open wheel thing just because he's been in sports cars for such a long time now, Mm -hmm. not jumping back and forth between them. And that was something that was actually touched upon earlier by Simon Pagino and Jimmy Johnson on on the Zoom call. Again, I hate to keep referencing it, but they were both talking about how Jimmy said he needs to stay out of stock cars in order to learn sports cars and how Simon was saying it takes time to readapt because even though the IndyCar is a very nimble, very fast car, and the DPI is as well, they're so different that it takes your brain a couple days to reprogram before you can even get back on the same page. Yeah, and by the way, I think we'll see Alua Castro Neves back in a sports car as well from information that I've been uh, picking up, maybe for just one or two subs uh, drives. Uh, what else have you got, Tim? Uh, retirement. Oh, sorry, yes, uh, 
of course, he's a WTR driver for the Daytona 24. Uh, there'll be at least one more than that this year for, uh, for Elior. A retirement. What retirement is this? Then? This is Donald Davidson. He's announced his retirement as uh, the official historian of the Indianapolis Motor yeah. Speedway. Uh, born in Salisbury in England, he went to the Indy 500 in 1964 as a visitor. Uh, and has never come back? Never came back. Well, he did come back <laughs> after the race in 64, yeah. but went back in 65 and has never come back uh, yeah. since then. He, no, before, I, was, I was being serious yeah. there, yes. Before before the 64 race, he um, started exchanging letters with uh, Sid Collins, who was one of the uh, circuit commentators at uh, Indianapolis. Um, and uh, on his first visit, he recited the uh, career history of every... Uh, entrant in that year's race, um, which led to him being appointed a statistician by USAC uh, the following year, a job that he kept for just 31 years uh, before he joined uh, the IMS radio network um, and then lastly uh, became historian of Indianapolis Motor Speedway officially in 1998. But it's an incredible career. He's an incredible person. If you've ever been... Uh, to the Indy 500, you will have heard him uh, unless you last went in 1963. Uh, just a couple of tweets coming in. Nick says, so good to hear the positives uh, of uh, from Renga van der Zander rather than speculation from gossip mongers. Authentic Greek motorsport. That's very kind of you uh, to say. Uh, and a number of people uh, pointing out that uh, Cadillac have won half of the DPI races uh, and Shea's stat was that every IMSA track, except Mid-Ohio and Road America, they've taken the top step of the podium. Anything else from the US that you'd like to discuss with Shea? Uh, the only other thing is um, that uh, there's a double chase at the Chili Bowl with Chase Elliott and Chase Briscoe <laughs> both uh, entering that in January. Excellent. Right row. Right row. That could get um, messy. It is limited to 35 cars, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Good. Uh, is that enough? That's is enough, that enough for, for uh, Shay. And I will tell you thank that you, tomorrow night at see 8 you, o'clock... See you, sorry. No, uh, you, thank you, you Shay. Shay. Uh, thank you, Shay. We'll speak to you tomorrow. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. That's You'll because... You'll speak to her on Friday because that's when we're running the uh, WeatherTech oh, Sports Car Championship season oh, right. review. Because tomorrow night well. at 8, it's the Toro Radio Show. Uh, oh, yes, ultimate episode of 2020. And they will be looking ahead to iRacing updates of 2021. And yeah, that's all been I've been told in a very cryptic uh, uh, yes. synopsis. Oh, I know all about that. It was, it was big launch day today. Uh, start the season. There's been announcing. There's a big four, launch. There's four new tracks coming up. There's of course the big M4 tie-in where they're going to launch the virtual car before the real car, even oh. though it's based on a real car. Then and there's the be... heretical launching of a fake car on iRacing. What? Uh, that'll be followed at nine by <laughs> on the grid where the, the new BMW Shibeki. is out. Uh, the M4 GT3. It's not, yes. not actually racing it, is it? So you'll be able to race. Testing. Yes, but you'll be able to race it on iRacing before it races in real life. Oh, really? Okay. Is and Lara designed a pretend racing car. Nobody oh, yes, taking right. one to the Middle East for events yes. in January? Yes. Yes is the answer to that. Yes. Although no more schnitzer, of course. No, we'll come on to that later. 
Uh, at nine o'clock on the grid, uh, we'll have ah. uh, Mark Scaife as our special guest this week. Excellent. Scaife. always good to listen to. And uh, by the way, for those of you of a cricketing persuasion like my good self, the Big Bash starts uh, tomorrow morning, UK time. So, COVID willing? No, it started. It's starting. Well, the South African, UK, England matches started. Didn't get very far, did they? No, but this is the big bash, so they'll just play it with um, local players if they have to. There's quite local a lot of people haven't got people. there. Hmm? Local players for local people. Well, yes, indeed. Aren't Australia um, currently in the middle of a tour series with, I want to say, Pakistan? Uh, you were close. It was India. India. Yeah. Not close enough. They just were beaten in the T20 series by India. That was good. Enjoyed that as well. We're going to move on to two wheels now before we run ah. out of time. Because Wait, we, we ran out of time 25 minutes ago. Yeah, but we started 40 minutes late. Uh, yeah, all right. The uh, Council of Bruno have decided that they uh, aren't going to be hosting any more MotoGP races. Yeah, I saw that in translation yesterday. So this is so what they've actually decided is they're not going to resurface the track, Nick, because that was the. That was the caveat for them getting it. Yes. Stipulation, I thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah, uh, 3.8 million euros is the cost of resurfacing Bruno and doing the other upgrades that were required oh, by Dorna. Fair enough. Uh, so they said, yes, we'll do that, but Dorna, you'll have to drop your 9 million euro a year uh, hosting fee. Yeah. Uh, and Dorna doesn't want to cut its 9 million euro a year hosting fee. Apparently, they've found another track in Spain to put a race in. No, no, because the, the, there's a reserve list, and top of the reserve list is Portimao. Portimao, so there's another track in so two Portuguese, which really is like, you know, is like Spain light for them, isn't it, really? It's still it's, on the uh, Iberian Peninsula. Exactly. It's, it is the World Championship of Iberia. Fair enough. So it means, I think that means Portimao is back on. Which, I it, I mean, right. Well, Bruno wasn't on the calendar anyway, so... Yes, it was. Not it was, the 2020 that was the calendar. Asterisk. No, but it was on the 2021 calendar. Sorry, 2021 it, calendar, yes. It, it was on the 2021 calendar as the date that had nothing next to it. Right. There was a there was an asterisk that said, subject to... Um, it didn't say Bruno, but that was the one because it said, subject to track approval. Ah. Uh, so they had a date. World Superbikes... Mm-hmm. Uh, what does Johnny Ray think about while he's racing? Uh, he thinks about um, how much he enjoyed the early records, the undertones. Very close. He thinks about lunch. What happens if it's an afternoon race? Well, I'm he not about what he had sure. for lunch. Maybe he has a late lunch. Uh, he was well, responding no, he thinks about to... what he's already had. It was res- no. He was responding to a question about what goes through his mind during races, and he said he's often wondering what's on offer in the hospitality buffet. Seems fair enough. But I was, yeah, that, 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 the second race on a, on a, on a Sunday, it doesn't start till two. Yeah. I'm, I, you know. Afternoon tea. After Absolutely. That one. I, I completely believe that in the Super Bowl, which is quite a short race, you know, you've got less time to think, but then you would be definitely thinking about lunch. Sort of an early lunch, more of a brunch, really. Mm. I'm sure when you're is racing, you have a very uh, off schedule uh, meal yeah, pattern, don't yeah, you? That's a very good point, Tim. We, we could be. Yeah, implying traditional meals for racing drivers and riders. Before the end of the show, mm-hmm. Tim is going to tell you about voting for our categories in Shore of the Year. I am, yes. 
and is also going to tell you the uh, list of uh, choices for the readers, the listeners' choice award. That too. But before yeah. either of those, it's time for Nick Damon's uh, wait, team by team wait, guide. Wait, wait. Before we get to that, if we're going to talk single seaters, I'm going to say it. You and I are in direct conflict over our young driver of the year because you chose Robert Schwartzman. And I chose Yuki Sonoda. Yuki Sonoda. Yes. And Sonoda finished ahead of Schwartzman in the championship. Yes, but I think it's. Yes. Yes. Yes, but I think it's all about potential. Schwartzman had more wins. For a young driver. He, he, well, won, he won more. Well, he won, he won more, more and... Uh, he, he won more than anyone. Yes, he won more than anyone. Hey, you know, you can, you can, you can push but that, the votes. But, that, but that, means, that means that he must have messed up more than other people as well at the front I of think, the field. I think it's an interesting situation, I think, because qualifying is often so important that if a team gets it wrong, and don't forget the, the other member of his team uh, is Mick Schumacher, who also qualified poorly. Um, so you kind of think possibly Premier weren't the best team for getting qualified set up sorted out. Premier definitely not the best team. Carlin were the best team, and that's because they had all of Lando Norris's data from last year. Last year, anywhere, Maybe two years ago. Do you what, do you, you know want to I now mean? go on to Nick Damon's team by team? I do want to have uh, Nick by team Nick Damon's team by team review by of team. the Formula Two races at uh, Sakia. He's struggle with that. Well, I watched them uh, both. And let's yeah. start right. with the Prima Power team. Uh, well, um, Mick Schumacher's a champion, despite having um, an average first race and, and terrible tried to throw away the second race. Tried as hard as he could, didn't he, to make it interesting? He did. He did. I mean, he, he, he literally just, just did the minimum <laughs> necessary. But that's how you win a championship. Callum Eilert was at one stage three and a half seconds away from winning the championship. Yeah, but his tyres getting there. Which is what Schumacher's done all year, in fairness. He does not do time management very well. Well, that might be a primer thing as well, a bit of a problem when it gets this to F1. Well, no, that, it, it, Tim brings up a good point because everybody was was still getting used to the 18-inch rims. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that was one of the reasons that so, so many... some teams did better than others. I think that. that's why so many rookies did so, did, did so well this year because effectively everyone was a rookie because he was starting from scratch. Right, we're not going to do team by team, P, no. F2. Though, Premier oh, did no. win the team's title as well. Yes, they did. Because they had two very good drivers. So let's move on to Formula 1. Hooray! Yay! Hooray! I just sort of caught at the end there, like a two-stroke firing up. Didn't <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right yeah. at the end. Yeah. Sometimes you can't always go big, can you? Sometimes you've got to let the thing warm up first. <laughs> well, if you say so. Mm. Right. Crack on, you two. Uh, so we were at uh, the Sakir circuit, which is different to the Bahrain circuit yes. that we were at uh, a week ago. Yes, and it is. It it had the fastest lap time or the shortest lap time ever mm. in Formula One TM, beating a Dijon race from I want to say a long time ago. Yeah, before we were born, uh, before I was before, born. Well, unfortunately, no. no. Um, yes, and so that that is it. Let's so, start. Uh, yeah, let's start with yes. uh, Ferrari. Really? Why are we start with Ferrari? Uh, because oh, we no, you're start right, with whoever no, is my, last. In my first. list, is, he was officially considered last. Sorry, I, I wasn't. I was looking. At, so yes, Ferrari. Um, well, Charles Leclerc, sort of here on Saturday with a fantastic qualifying and zero in the race, with a very much very over optimistic attempt to get past uh, Sergio Perez into turn four, locked up, um, caused a concertina that took out um, one of the other major contenders. 
but also ended up paving the way to Sergio Perez's uh, surprising uh, victory. So he was both you know, a villain, if you're a Red Bull fan, or in fact a sort of sub-hero if you're a Racing Point fan, but for himself he just lasted a whole race up because he hit the rear of uh, Perez very hard and he whacked his wheel off. Um, yeah, I think with, with Charles, the situation really is now. He's, he's effectively, well, look, whatever happens now, I'm going to be in the middle of the field, so I'm going to go absolutely full guns, blazing every single race, just to try and get a result. And it's not gone so well, because it's his third first lap accident he's had. Um, he hit uh, his teammate in Austria. I think it was Austria 2, wasn't it? In Austria 2. He took out uh, Lance Stroll in Russia, and now he's um, taken, he's definitely the blame driver for the blame for this accident. So much so, he's got a three post grid penalty. Um, so he needs to perhaps just turn, engage his brain a little bit earlier and turn off um, you know, ludicrous mode uh, in lap one. Sebastian Vettel finished 12th and was relatively anonymous. So we move on to Red Bull. Red Bull, right. So um, Max Verstappen. Uh, innocent party, nothing he could do in the uh, first lap incident between um, Charles Leclerc and, and himself, and no, and Sergio Perez. Discuss. Well, of course, he didn't actually get hit by anybody. He went off the track avoiding them in the first mm. place, and then for some reason he didn't seem to remember there was a gravel trap there. You know, in a, in a, a I suppose most most reminiscent that moment is when Lewis Lewis found the gravel trap in uh, in China all those years ago, because um, he was turning fine when he was on the on the uh, tarmac and he hit the gravel and the thing just obviously just effectively just slid him into the barrier and just stopped him out of the race. I do kind of think that whilst plus point for Max, he was aware of the problem on his right hand side and trying to avoid it. Um, you kind of think a judicious application of the brake on the tarmac bit would have actually got him around the corner, and he knew that you know he knew the gravel trap was there. They've all done track walks, mm. so you know, and of course they did a race know, there last week. Exactly. So you know, I, I'm not trying to say it's his fault. I'm not trying to say you know, but but people are very very quick to not blame him these days because he's the, the the great hope of of, of competing against. Uh, uh, Mercedes, everyone's very, very much, oh, he did the best he could do, did the best he could do, yeah, he did absolutely the best he could do. Well, not sure, but it wasn't, you know, it was what I think I put that rather than a fault, I put it under one of those things, but he should perhaps have a little bit more discretion, I think, would have probably have helped. Um, about his Alex Albon, well, Alex Albon, <sighs> not wishing to give away spoilers because you all know, uh, in this race, Mercedes made a massive fundamental. Well, I can't say what uh, Toto Wolff said, but so let's say mistake. So they took themselves out of the race. Uh, the third fastest car of Max Verstappen, which discussed, took himself out of the race. At that point, who should win the race, Tim? Well, it should be the, should the other the guy driving Red the second Bull. fastest car in the second Red Bull. So We're Alex going to Albon talk about this later. I do not believe should... that the Red Bull Honda is the second fastest car. Okay. Well, he should have won it anyway, in my opinion. Well, he should have been done much better. Let's say. The problem was he, he loused up qualifying, ended up 12, uh, moaned the whole time the car wasn't raceable, and stumbled his way, uh, I think, up to sixth place, which you consider the number of cars who, who, who actually fell out who should have been ahead of him. Effectively, I think he managed to gain one or two positions the entire race and be bested by the best of midfield and not really put any sort of performance in. Now, let's get, the thing is, everyone caveats the reports about Alex Albon saying he's a lovely chap and we all wish him well. I'm not quite sure what photographs he's got of Helmut Marco. You know, what has he got on Helmut? Because Helmut has fired people for half of the uh, failures that Alex has had, a third probably. But they keep saying, nope, Alex is fine. Alex is good. We're with Alex. Alex, yep, fine, super stuff. Yep, he's going. Yep, we're going to give him another race. And you keep thinking, why? 
what you know you are a top team why are you giving him another go why are you giving him, why are you saying that this hasn't worked out after a year and a half when you have a very obvious a uh, couple of very very quality um replacements but now they keep saying they keep saying no no we're going to stick that, stick that. showing loyalty they've never shown before so where does Helmut get his money from or where does Dietrich get his money from um, his massive personal reserves. I know. I know that Red Bull is owned. Um, I think it's actually fifty-one percent, isn't it, by uh, a Thai family brand? But you know, Red Bull isn't even sold in Thailand, um, or if it's in very small numbers. Um, and but this is a race team, and if, if they ever want to achieve anything, as we said before, you need to have a second driver who can support your lead driver, or can replace him when the lead driver is in a barrier because he's forgot to brake. Um, and Alex just isn't doing anything at the moment. I mean, it's difficult. He's obviously a mind funk, but, uh, yeah, I don't want to call for the sacking of him, but it does seem rather strange that he is uh, he is so heavily protected. Let's move on to Williams. Yes, Williams. And uh, proving once and for all, it's it's all about the car. Um, oh, hang on, no, it wasn't, because when they didn't have their best driver, they had sunk further back than before. So, yeah, I mean, the Williams car... Um, Latifi was going better than Jack Aitken, hardly surprising. Not by a huge amount, considering Jack was is you know, was his, is a rookie; it's his first race. Uh, then Latifi retired. I can't remember what it was now. I think it might be, might be an electrical problem. But um, Aitken himself, as everyone has pointed out, the irony was Aitken having a bit of a moment on the final corner, um, losing his wing, which brought out the safety car, which caused the chaos, which resulted in the man he had replaced uh, losing his chance to win. So, yeah, I mean Williams a little bit anonymous without their star driver. Uh, remember, though, that uh, Aiken did set a faster lap than uh, Latifi. Not in qualifying. In the race. Interesting, in qualifying, he also lost at the last corner. So uh, um, yeah, he's one of two drivers. Wait to see whether, he, whether his, holiday, his party continues this week or not. Uh, let's move on to Haas. Yeah, Pietro Fittipaldi. Um, certainly a tad off the pace. Not country miles but a couple of tenths here and there um, managed to have all the pressure in qualifying taken off by the fact they took engine penalties and then drove a pretty solid race to come in last the runners but you know with the safety cars it's hard to tell where it really was but certainly you know, in that house you're not going to finish that much higher anyway even if you were you know the, the greatest driver in the history of the world but um, yeah he's he, he solid and he, he again we think he's continuing this weekend They're right, they do have options um, Kevin uh, you did know. not have a good weekend. No, no, he didn't really. He wasn't. He just wasn't really on it, and uh, he ended up being fifteenth in the finishing level. And he'd only beat well, he only beat really. Um, he beat both the Williams, but they had re- had excuses, and he beat his teammates. Well, one of them so had the excuses it wasn't running at the end, or That's indeed very good for excuse. thirty laps at the end. Yes, but he was ahead of him when it, when it pulled out. But I mean, I don't think Latifi is someone you should really judge yourself against. He, you know, he's not getting any better this year. So you do. He's certainly in there thanks to the check of his of his father, who's Canadian, of course. Um, so yeah, Kevin, not a great race. Um, he'll be hoping to sign off with a solid one uh, as before he begins his big adventure in IMSA in a medicar. Alfa Romeo. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw, once again, there was an Alfa Romeo having a bit of a spin at the back at the start of the race. But lucky this time didn't cause anything else It was the same going one. On. Yeah, it was Raikkonen again, wasn't it? Uh, Giovinazzi um, finished ahead of Raikkonen. Giovinazzi qualified ahead of Raikkonen, um, but neither of them really troubled the scorers. And, and a lack of development um, 
and also a lack of power from the Ferrari engine was certainly exposed during this race. And you know, the Class C cars, as they called, were uh, absolutely at the back, apart from the two cars in the t- in Class A and B who took themselves out earlier. Uh, Alpha Tauri. Um, yeah, I mean, the interesting, the interesting thing about this race was it, one of the, you know, we come to the end of the season and we we pretty much 100% assure that Pierre Gasly will be, who has been announced, we partnered now by Yuki Sonoda. Now he's got his super license points, which means that Danny Kvyat's out. Um, oddly, this has coincided with an upswing in Danny's form. And Danny, I think for the, certainly, I think the second in three races or certainly equals, actually outperformed Pierre over the weekend, certainly as far as points, seventh. And points against 11th Pierre. Pierre, of course, did pick up some points last week. That was down to a um, off-strategy bit of luck um, with the safety car. So, yeah, Gasly seemed out of sorts. They didn't. The Dalvatari didn't really suit this very fast, um, not oval circuit. Um, but Kvyat put in a good performance, strong all the way through, and managed to get 7th. And could have been higher. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a, there was a kind of a, towards the end the shuffle out, and the, when you get to all the top positions, there's a there's a there's a both a happy story and a sob story in every position because obviously this was the opportunity for other cars to do better than they did. Uh, let's move on to McLaren. Yeah, I mean, Lando Norris ended up tenth, started right at the back after he had a poor qualifying, um, got caught out by the the massive amount of traffic and didn't perform what he needed to in this very short sprint. He lapsed and they took engine penalties to give him a bit of a better advantage. Um, made a bit of progress and then kind of got stalled despite the fact that they you know, they had the chance of the resets with the various uh, safety cars. And I think he'd probably he'd be disappointed at ending up in 10th place. Carlos Sainz um, ended up 4th. Um, Again, disappointed he was fourth, not for any other reason. He could also see the chance to finish considerably higher up if the luck had, had, had swelled his way. But of course, you know, it came really down to tyre strategies. And, and the three who finished ahead of him were all effectively, if not actually, on a one-stop strategy. Whereas Carlos was on a two. Uh, and we're going to that more at the front. Uh, Mercedes. Yeah, it was the annual Mercedes Keystone Cops uh, tribute moment, wasn't it? Um yeah, apparently it was a radio pro radio uh, glitch. Um, going into the weekend, obviously the big news was that Lewis wasn't there and George Russell would take over. And you know, would he do? Would he, how would he do? Would he be able to get anywhere near Valtteri? Would he? You know, would he? And how did he do in FP one compared to Valtteri? Well, he was top. He was top driver in FP one and FP two. But you know, the, the, then there was the story about him not really fitting in the car. He didn't quite understand all the buttons. Feet were too big. All those functional things. Had to wear smaller shoes. So it was all. It was all a good story. And and you know, they had the thing setting the expectations quite low from uh, totally fifth would be fine. That's not a problem. We don't really care about that. And then of course, come race day, we'll, you know, we'll just do a bit of qualifying. He was a picosecond behind Valtteri, which is no problem because Valtteri is an ex- excellent qualifier. But he's um, lost no, his he, record. I know. He's, he's his first time he's ever been out qualified. I think he's probably quite pleased to have lost it because it's, he's lost it to, in the, at the front of the grid and then he's qualified second. As opposed but to losing it to Latifi by having a bad that day. That would be very, very bad. But he managed to get it, didn't he? Uh, I think the most remarkable way he kept that. Do you remember he actually he still out qualified um, Latifi and Mugello even when he went off the track? Yeah. And still got a faster lap and he dropped it to the, the bottom of the hill. Um but no, and then he obviously aced the start, controlled the race, uh, got through the first set of pit stops, got a nice lead, um, which was being edged back. But it's, catching is one thing, and passing is another, as uh, uh, Murray said. And obviously, they were eking out their tyres as well. And then obviously, there was the terrible muck up at the pit stop. Uh, but he came out in fifth, was moving forward through the pack, overtook Valtteri. Um, 
which was a good move. Um, not the move of the century, as everyone's saying it was, because if you watched F2, you'd have seen it three or four times already, so he knew it was possible, and he had a tyre advantage. The, the thing it was, it was quite ballsy, though, because if he had made a mistake and they had hit each other, that was the thing. It was more the, the risk of collision rather than the actual quality of the overtake, because the overtake was actually quite easy. No, I was wrong. was not as hard as it may have seemed, but it was the actual, you know... Schutz part to actually go and do it, I think, in that situation, which was which marked him out. He was, he was fast advancing on Sergio Perez when he had a puncture and stuck him down to about 13th. He managed to come back and claim ninth place and fastest lap. And, and, it, and it's very likely he will keep that fastest lap of all time because it's unlikely he'll ever come back this circuit again. So it's very unlikely he will ever see a, a lap of uh, 56 seconds again in a race. Um, so, certainly for many, many years, he will have the fastest F1 race lap. And, of course, at the end of all this, uh, the world of uh, social media went wild and went, oh, look at that, it's just the car, anyone can get in the car and they can win. Oh, yeah, anyone. Now, the, 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 you know, OK, I, I, I realise that if you look at the bare bones of a guy from the back of the grid changing and going into another car, well, it's like anyone can do it. The thing you have to remember is that George Russell isn't any driver. Of all the 20 drivers in F1, he has by far the best junior record. He has been looked schooled by the Mercedes team. He's done two years of, of F one racing. Yes, he's been doing it a second and a half lap slower. He's not but he's not been, you know, sitting dragging his heels. He's a very accomplished, very intelligent young man. And like all great drivers, you give them a chance, they take the chance. You know, you only have to look at you know Schumacher and his qualifying session with Jordan, you know, the first race that Lewis did with with McLaren on the podium in Australia. These these great drivers will take their chances. And just because you're tooling around the back with a, with a slow team doesn't mean you're a slow driver. Fernando Alonso has been his first year at Minardi. Despite in that year, he was actually finished in the championship. Tarso Marquez finished ahead of him in the championship. But he did enough whilst driving the Minardi to realise how good he really was and, uh, and move up forward. So Russell was already a very, very good driver. The question was, could he handle the pressure? And the answer was, yes. Is Russell Hamilton? No. Does it now mean that Mercedes can run Bottas and Russell with the same effect? No, because one thing you really, really learned at this weekend was the biggest problem that Mercedes had is Valtteri's head's gone. He was completely out mentally drilled by Russell's presence being so effective. Yes, he managed to just clip him in qualifying, but in the race, uh, and he had no response to what Russell was doing. And that's not so much the brilliance of George, but more the failings of Valtteri has. And Valtteri you know, needs to try and get his it's head back. It's all about Lewis, some... though. Because it's what we were talking about last week, where you said Valtteri needs to stop being a number two and step up to yeah. being number one for the weekend. And I said, George is the one who's got two years' experience of being a number one. Well, I think I think it's a very good point. I think what, you know, the people, professional athletes, either shine or crumble under pressure. And the weird thing is that what should have been a chance for Valtteri to shine was he didn't see it as a chance for him to shine with the pressure off. He saw it as a chance for him to fail with the pressure on. And I think he he, he got into the wrong mindset um, that he had nothing to gain, where I think he had everything to gain um, and nothing to lose. Um, now, as somebody said, I read that the one person who really, really, really wants Lewis not to be allowed into Abu Dhabi is Valtteri because he needs a second go at, at uh, George this year. If he doesn't get a second go to try and prove that he's not 
um, a patsy, he will lose his drive. Simple as that. It's, it's the decision is made. Not next year, because that's all signed and delivered, but 2022, George will be in that car. So he needs a second race this weekend to just, you know, he must, you know, racing jobs have self, but he must believe he can do it. He must believe he can, he can take George and he must hope that George doesn't ace the start. He must hope, and he can stamp some authority back on, because at the moment he's a dead man driving. You know, he's got that year and that's it. There's no way, why would you, why would you retain him? Especially when we look towards the future of the team, the likelihood that Lewis will sign a two-year contract and that'll be it. So, yeah, I mean, George is now the future of the team unless Valtteri can do something fantastic this weekend. The net thing is, though, is that if Lewis had been, if Valtteri had COVID, it was Lewis versus George, Lewis would comprehensively and comfortably have won that race. He would have comprehensively won that race. And also, leading that race was brilliant by George, but there was no opposition. We're at the back end of the season, people have given up, and the two cars who might have challenged him had hit each other and taken each other off. There was no Verstappen mm-hmm. then snap at the shoulders, and there was no Leclerc for doing some weird things with strategy. So I'm not taking anything away from George. The strategy thing's very important, because Mercedes managed to mess it up without having any pressure on them. Yeah, I know. And they didn't need to make that stop, don't forget. No, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It, 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 yeah, they're, 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 again, they, it's interesting how they have made a complete muck-up when it doesn't matter. And it hasn't really... It, it, yes, it's affected the stats. George hasn't got one win, but it doesn't affect anything else. We all, we all know what we saw. However, kudos to the left-front tyre man who realised what had happened. Yeah, yeah on, on, on the second the, car. On, on Bottas' car. Well, yes, because don't forget, they'll go... Vroomph, off you go. And the second way you put the second way, you went, hang on, this isn't right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, imagine... I think he knew on the first car, but he wasn't sure. Mm. And then when he saw it in the second... Because you see him sort of looking, and you could almost see that he was a bit... Uh, what's just happened there? No, this is definitely not right. Yeah. And so they, they, they got fined 20,000 euros, which I think is a little bit... Which is fine. I, I don't think they should, they should have had any sort of sporting penalty, because they actually p- pulled him in after one lap. It, w- it was self-policing. You, they, 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 they got well, no advantage they, from it. Well, they got a massive disadvantage Correct. from it, so it was fine. Um, yeah, and, and, and just... They effectively just, did a drive-through. Yeah, yeah. And, and Valtteri obviously did fade towards the back end. I think, I think the issue, again, about tyre management, and that's another thing you'd have to wait. But, yeah, I don't think... Nothing that George did belittled anything that Lewis has achieved, because what you can do in one race with no competition doesn't really affect what you do over several years and win world championships. Uh, Renault's next. George, uh, I have a hand up here. No, no. Go on. I, th- I thought you'd finished. No. <laughs> I have. Oh, Renault next. But, um, Renault, yes. So, wow. Yes. Danny Ricciardo, fifth. That's a great result for Renault. Well done. Brilliant. That's good points. Then, oh, wow. Esteban Ocon, second. The man has been in his shadow the whole time. Um, and has been, frankly, disappointing this year. And has been, yeah. This is where, what I said about the, the top... He's always disappointed the, 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 me. The cars that are left, which are Ricciardo, Ocon, Stroll and Perez all effectively end up doing a one-stop. Everyone thought it would be quicker to do a two-stop. Um, so we can't do a two-stop. Because effectively, to do a two-stop, you start, you, obviously you're in the top ten, you started on the softs, because everyone apart from Mercedes had to get them. You get those off, and then you change twice more, be it medium-hard or medium-medium. What happened was, the degradation was nothing like they thought it was going to be. The tyres lasted longer, so much so that Lance Stroll got like 50 laps out of his. Which meant the guys who stopped twice ended up losing track position. And therefore, the guys who stopped once, which were Ocon and Stroll, but also effectively Perez, all had the advantage. This is where Ocon found himself ahead of uh, his teammate, because he only stopped once. But more importantly, he then managed to make a good move on Lance Stroll coming out of the pits and picked up um, what ended up being net second, even though Perez got past him. So Ocon managed to put together a decent race, um, 
Danny, I think, was a little disappointed it finally played against him. But, you know, good points for Renault in the championship. And finally, and racing, racing point. point. So, yes, racing point. So, this is, this is just, so Sergio Perez won the race, which is a brilliant thing for him to do. And, and yeah, not a dry eye in the house. And no one, you know, if you can deserve, we deserve it more than Perez. And the whole thing, he went from 18th to 1st. Unbelievable. From last to 1st. Wow. The thing to realise is when he got taken out, luckily the car wasn't damaged, but he, he, he wandered down to the pit, changed out of these soft tyres, put the mediums on. He then, of course, ran a full safety car. Effectively, had made a stop for, not a free stop, but like a half-price stop. And in fairness to him, what he then did, and one of the advantages of the like racing point... Cyber Monday stop. Yeah, basically, yeah. The advantage of the Red Bull is it's... it's Red Bull. The racing point is it's very quick in a straight line. So very quick in a straight line and DRS meant you could pass at least one car every lap of these yeah, of the Group C. So Group C. Class C. So, you, so very quickly, he was able to work his way through the field. And he drove well... And then, of course, things started falling in his place when cars were, you know, who should have been ahead of him either didn't get around the first lap or had botched pit stops. So he then found himself uh, on the tail of Lance Stroll. Lance made a mistake, um, locking up into four. He got through that. And then Esper Ocon didn't fight, which is surprising. There was a tyre differential. And then Perez found himself in the lead, coming out, the, uh, out of the second safety car. Was, was confident he could hold off George Russell without a puncture. No one else was, but hey, go knock yourself out Sergio and took it the win Lance Stroll probably thought he should have won and perhaps the second time this year might have had a chance he had a good chance in um, uh, Monza and didn't really capitalise on it but the net effect was obviously that Racing Point finally put in a decent result Turkey Hmm? as well Stroll he was never going to work he did worse he should have he was never going to win that one Um, but the the thing is of course Perez hasn't got a drive but what he has done is he pretty much established uh, race put into third place, which, to be honest, is where they should have been from the moment we realised Ferrari were rubbish. Yeah. But they've managed, with A, point deduction, B, bad luck with with illness and crashes, but also a number of really poor decisions. So they should be 70 points ahead of everyone else. But they are going to stumble over the line in third, and they'll still get the cash. So where's Perez going in 22? He's very, 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 very sure that he's got a drive in 22. Well, he'll be definitely going to get a drive Williams. Right. Um, and then it's what else opens up that's better than Williams. So what will he do for next year? He may well, be racing at Williams. Mercedes aren't going to rest Valtteri. No. They're not going to put 10 million euros and rest Valtteri. So that's but Hamilton hasn't signed a contract yet. Neither has Toto. Yes, that's going to happen. That's that, and, and I think that... Lewis has been quite poorly. I would... Yeah, he's, he's, he posted a message this morning saying he's feeling better and hoping to race. Feeling much better and hoping to race. I think it's going to How be likely is it that there. Lewis will race this weekend, given that he's not allowed into Abu Dhabi? Right. First things about that is rules are off for international sporting world champions. And the last thing Abu Dhabi want to be seen doing is not letting the world champion if he's, if he's passed his COVID test. So that isn't going to be an issue. You know, that isn't going to be... He isn't going to be kept out for that. That's for certain. Then again, just feeling better doesn't mean you're free of COVID. And don't forget, just mean you fit the race either. It's really debilitating. So that's it. And that's a very good point, John. He he may feel great today. Tomorrow he might feel ropey again, because mm-hmm. he hasn't had it asymptomatically like um, Perez and Perez did. Lance Stroll had symptomatically, and he was you know regardless of it. That's not knock Stroll. He's a good driver, but he was down on. He was below par for himself for two races after that. Yeah. So well, yeah, I mean, it's a, the weekend. Just gone. He was below yeah, himself. I'd agree with that. 
But so yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's, it, it, I think Lewis desperately wants to get back. I think because he just wants to get another drive for the end of the season. In, um, I think probably most of the neutrals would probably prefer that he perhaps did a little video link from the start of the race. We all give him a big clap, and then we have another race like last week. <laughs> to be honest, um, I can't believe him say they make a terrible mistake again. It'd be it'd be good to give. I'd like to see see what Valtteri can do against George, and what George can do at Valtteri, and also see whether you know. With, if you throw some other competitive cars in the mix, if it, all, if it all explodes again. Let's let's put some pressure on the driver. These are dead rubbers. Let's make them interesting. Uh, let's do um, a couple of other stories. Uh, we mentioned mm-hmm. last week that uh, Fernando Alonso was going to be allowed to take Very part young. in the younger driver test. It's um, not actually a young driver test, though, is it? They've That's changed the, the name point. now. So now they've changed it, they've changed it to <laughs> test. It's been um, a test. And so now Red Bull have announced their young driver taking part will be Sebastian Buemi. Yes, but they're also taking Yuri Vips as well. Um, what they've basically said is anybody can drive now if they haven't driven this year in F1. Ah, it's not even just two Grand Prix. No, if you haven't if you haven't driven in F1 this year, you can drive in a race. Yeah, in, in a, a race. In a so Pet- Pietro Fittipaldi can't do it then. Need to check that one of the two race things. So they're trying to make it simple, so they may have yeah. But that was basically same for Aitken as well. My guess is they'll let Aitken and Fittipaldi run if they want to. But what they're basically saying they turned the car of science down today. He can't do it. So what is basically being a big PR thing to get um, Fernando? Do you know what? I don't and he's know. driving the old the V10. I yeah. I just don't understand. I don't. Know. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, the blue car which was cool, wasn't it? Um, I don't know why everyone gets so bent out of shape. He's not going to. He's on. He's on this year's car. And this year's tyres. Next year's car is different, and next year's tyres different. If they want to get an extra bit of PR for F1, positive story, let him run half a day as it will be in a car. That, oh wow, it's, it's this year's car. Is it car. before or after the last race? It's after. It's Tuesday after. Well, it's already the start of next season. So what difference is it? I don't know. I, I, I think there's a, it, it all gets pointlessly political, and they've all they've been sniffing. Just let him what do it. What are they it. doing? <laughs> and it's like, and, and there's, a, there's a few old scores being settled, and it's just po- and Cyril Beatable is not helping. You should sometimes, sometimes just say nothing, and you fat sound Beth and snapping back. But I, I'm very happy to see Fernando getting half a day in the car, brilliant. Because let's be really honest about this: because of what's happened, there's very little pre-season testing next year. So why, why are we penalising people? Oh, there'll be wouldn't? plenty of pre-season testing because they're not going to Australia. Well, they're not going to Australia then. That's for sure. I don't believe they are. They might are. be. I don't know. I would. I would. I would think it's unlikely. I think they may well go to Australia. I don't think they go to Australia in March. But let's see. Let's hope. Let's hope they are, because that means the global situation will be considerably better. No, it doesn't. It means they're getting an exemption. Tennis well, is happening in Australia. Speed. Well, that's been delayed, isn't it? It's still happening. Yeah, but it's not happening in March. It's not happening. February. It well, it's not happening in January, which is when it normally happens. January, it, sorry, it's yes. going to happen at the end of March instead now. Maybe. Anyway, yes. Uh, Haas uh, in the news. Uh, I don't know what to say about this, really. Let me just first I've got say... to go back, first of all, to him being an absolute... Yes, we're talking about Nikita Mazepin, who... How do you solve a problem like Nikita? Yeah. Today... It's been all about a video that was posted very briefly on Instagram showing him unacceptably... One of the few drivers who didn't get his Instagram hacked at the weekend, yeah, by the way. Yeah, so unac- unacceptably um, touching um, a female friend, as it turned out, who is, it also turns out, actually didn't care. And it was all part of a laugh that Larky Lark 
that friends were having. Regardless of that, it shouldn't be posted on Instagram. And also, then we had this massive overreaction from... I don't know how to put this. I don't know, the PC brigade, let's call it that, but I'm not quite as anti as that. But it was just... It, everyone, oh, it's terrible, terrible. You don't know the whole story. Just the whole, I read this thing saying, oh, he's... he's I suppose it was like, oh, he's fondly this drunk passenger. She wasn't drunk. She's his mate They're in the back of the car. They're being stupid. That's the point. They're was being driving at the time. Stupid. He wasn't driving. Oh, no, no he was on the other side no, of the car, wasn't yeah, they're just he? being yeah. stupid. Oh, unless and that was reversed. It's been... St- we still have a steering wheel in front of him, whichever side it was. And his mate was driving. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, and it's got blown out of proportion now, and people think, oh, he needs to be hung, drawn, and quartered. And I think doesn't he, look good for F1, though, does no, it? No, it's, it's, it's dumb. it's stupid. It's dumb. But as I said to you, and I think we're, we're for once totally in agreement, I was much more concerned with his driving at the weekend, driving which was, was lethal. What the hell he was actually, he doing? He, he drove off the track up to turn four to keep... Is it Snowder or, or is it Drogovic? Uh, he drove off the track. It's Drogovic, wasn't it? It was Drogovic, uh, yes. Yeah, he had the two right-hand side players I just, off the track. Yeah, I mean, the, and then he put somebody in the pit wall as well. Which that's, That is my... Three times he put someone in the pit wall. That is my personal... That was in the first race, of the, the feature race. That is my personal absolute no-no thing for people to do. Force someone in towards the pit wall to make them back out to make it basically you're saying hit the pit wall or hit me yeah no, it's, and, it's... and that that's that to me uh, there's there should be absolutely no quarter given on that i just I... you got two five second penalties yeah i mean but he's it's it shows yeah, I, I, don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know whether he was just trying to become the, the least pop is trying to get past Dan Tantra's record to be the least popular Formula 2 driver I don't know it was like <laughs> Dan Tickton uh, had a bit of a moment on Sunday as well didn't he what in the interview yes yes when he just said basically that it was a terrible year his team were rubbish he was going to a much better team he couldn't say who they were next year however he's he testing for Carlin this week I was going to say yeah. he was testing for Carlin <laughs> but yeah. the problem with Dan is Dan is talented but he is the image he gives off is of an awful human being. Well, and the prob- I'm not saying he is no, an awful no. human being, but the image he gives off. Well, we've said this in this program before. The problem is that somebody at FOM Television has decided at box office to play all the bad stuff that he says. Well, he also said he was also looked pretty. Yeah, that was an interview, and he decided to carry on shooting himself in the foot. Well, I know, but. Uh, there is an agenda, you know, reality television isn't ever actually reality television, is it? It's it's always got a story that runs mm. through it. And the story of F two is is Dan on the on the phone to the to the pits whinging about something or calling somebody else out. And really Carlin And he's got no history do. of doing that in Formula Three or Formula Four. Mm. <laughs> or Carlin karting. Should, <laughs> Carlin should just not on the radio in karting, I wouldn't have thought. Uh, uh. Carlin should Make sure he hasn't got a radio button, and in, instead just has <laughs> two a, flags: a, a red for problem, green for good. Yeah, just <laughs> yes and no, so they can talk to him, mm. and they ask him questions to which the answers could be yes or no. I think I think yeah, they just, can always just, just unplug his microphone remotely. You know, can't they? I think it's fair to say, I, having watched his races. Um, I watched a lot of F2 this year, actually, which is virtually every single race. I don't think Dams were the best team, but I think that's not—that's more because everyone was trying to work out the new tires. And you—you you looked; he did seem to ha- suffer from more from tire dig than everyone else. Tires and, really and, and yes, it could be—it's unlikely to be driving because he is a good driver. So he's not—you know—it's not like we're trying with guys excusing day. his his inability. But, but what have 
what do we know about Junior Formula in the past? They've had a surfeit of grip over power. And that does Formula not seem to have been... has, but um, Formula 2 never has. Well, no, he's been on Pirelli's for the last seven years. I don't think it's been as uh, I don't think it's been as noticeable as it has been this year. That's because the eighteen inch tires. Yeah, exactly. And because they, they, they people don't know the cars were never designed to no, run with it. Exactly, inch and I think I think we had the odd race in previous year where which were very tire dependent. Yeah, went to certain tracks, and it was like it, it was so tire dependent it ruined the whole thing. But it seems that the feature, well, certainly just about every track when I've watched, it's been really down to the tires too much and I and I so hopefully two things happen hopefully perhaps Pirelli will have a little bit of a look at their compounds but more importantly Which hopefully for Formula 1 of course to make them less they need to get more dependable. life out of them yeah no 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 not for, for, for Formula 2 they, they, oh. they need to be they need to do the opposite in Formula 2 to what they're talking about doing in Formula yeah. 1. In Formula 1, they're talking about making the tyres less robust. Yeah. They need to make them slightly more robust. Yeah, I'm only about five after. laps more, not like you know, twice as much. I'm not sure um, I think that would ruin I... the strategy in a lot of cases. If you look at the feature race on Saturday, mm. those softs, if they had been any more durable, um, it would have ruined the race. Well, Guangzhou Su Chu went a long way on his softs, but he's very good on his tyres. He went the furthest, I think. No, he starts on hards. Uh, all right, so was it Sonoda then? Sonoda, Sonoda who went a long time. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, I know what you're saying, Tim, but I, I do feel, perhaps I'm a bit purist here, that if you've actually stuck the car towards the front of the grid, you should have some form of advantage. And it seems to be absolutely a toss-up here about which tyre work, strategy works best. You know, it, you know at the moment, it was, it was like you get the strategy right, that set of cars will be at the front. Um, you know, I know it's, it's, it is supposed to be a great level, but they've already got the great level of the reverse grids. You don't need to level all the races. You, you, they've got the great level, they've all got the same car. Yeah, but that, that, this year it's been pretty yes. obvious it's not the same car as far as setup's concerned. No. I, mean, that's what, I mean, that's what a big change does, which is great. Yeah. All right, it's time to wrap this up tonight. We've already been on uh, half an hour longer than we should have been, uh, with apologies for the late start again. Is that all you want to talk about, Tim? Uh, we've got one final story, when that's some sad news. Uh, but before that, I need to talk, tell you about the voting for the oh. show of the year, which is next week's 49th episode of Midweek Motorsport, which is odd, because normally we only do 48, so we squeezed another one in somewhere. Started earlier this year. We must have done. Uh, so when you go to the website to get this week's podcast you will see the voting uh, for the uh, nine categories that we've got Uh, let's just remind you of uh, what the categories are and uh, who is in each category so uh, we have Young Driver which is Yuki Tsunoda, Ryan Norman Robert Schwartzman or Tom Gamble Team of the Year, United Autosports, Porsche GT, AMG Mercedes F1, or Aston Martin Racing. Car of the Year, Aston Martin Vantage GTE, the Corvette C8R, Mercedes W11, or the Infiniti Q50. Power Unit of the Year, Hyundai uh, TCR, Mazda DPI, the Mercedes W11 EQ Performance, uh, and the Nissan uh, LMP3, was it? Two. LMP2. Uh, three, sorry, yes, three. Yeah. yeah. Uh, engineer or designer of the year: Gabby Robertshaw, Tim Sindrick, Pete Bonington, and Pascal Vasselon. Uh, bike of the year: We've got a Suzuki, we've got a Yamaha, we've got a Kawasaki, we've got a Montessa. 
Uh, Non-driver of the year, Von Dennis, Wayne Taylor, the FIA Safety Commission and Fiona Miller. Race of the year, Daytona uh, in July, Daytona in January. Uh, mm. So Rolex 24 hours. The Turkish Grand Prix and the Italian Grand Prix. Uh, person of the Year, Johnny Ray, Nick Tandy, Lewis Hamilton and Philippe Albuquerque. And, of course, the Listener's Choice Award. And yeah, Just before you get onto that, can I make one slight change? Because although when I originally sent my um, noms to you, I did say the Aston Martin Vantage GTE, but when we actually did it, um, I said the Aston Martin Vantage in all of its forms because it had done so well. That was a mistake by me. I so will remove the letters GTE G- from the voting. Thank you. Aston Martin Vantage, all of them. Uh, Everyone. <laughs> so even, even the red one down the road. Correct. <laughs> uh, the Listener's the Choice Award. <laughs> You've been uh, nominating uh, your suggestions for the Listener's Choice Award all week. Uh, and the four uh, that have chosen to go into the public vote are Scott Dixon. Tell me a little oh. bit about him, John. Scott Dixon uh, won the IndyCar Championship again this year. Not frightened of going and racing in other series. Uh, won with Renga van der Zander, as we heard earlier on. At Daytona, got the watch. And at uh, Motul Petit, Le Mans. And generally, uh, out of the car as well, uh, a fabulous ambassador and an all-round good guy. Uh, second nominee is Mike Conway. Nick, tell us a bit about Mike this year. Mike Conway um, has finally added a world championship to what has been the standout driving performances the last two or three years at um, Toyota. Um, if ever a driver has not had the rewards of his great talent, it's Mike. Second at the Mon again this year. Yeah. I mean, one Sorry, third th- at One thing I always remember about Mike is Mike is also a joy to talk to. And you're thinking, well, why do you say this, Nick? Because when I first met him in 2004 or five in Formula Renault, he was terrible. He said he has benefited from his couple of years in the States in so many ways. And he's a great ambassador, great driver. And that's a great call. Uh, the third nominee for the uh, Listener's Choice Award is John Doonan. Uh, John? Uh, John Doonan, by his own admission, took over what I think was his dream job when he took over the running of IMSA after Scott Atherton uh, moved aside at the end of 2019. What he couldn't have known uh, is that he was walking into an absolute storm of effluent. And just with his feet under the table, uh, getting to know everybody's names, and it all hit. And he's galvanised the team. They've had to make some difficult decisions, uh, both on a business sense, in a sporting sense, uh, and uh, for the good of the sport, not just in the US, but further afield than that and globally. And I think with the esports initiatives and everything else that they have put together this year, and extraordinarily had a 21% uptick in their US TV figures at a time when motorsports have uh, shown issues because they haven't done as much. Uh, IMSA has delivered this year and John Dernan has done it all with a smile on his face and always picks the phone up to you. Whoever you are, whenever you ring him, uh, if you've got to leave a message, he'll get back to you. Uh, And finally, uh, we have uh, William Clyde Elliott II, Nick. Or Chase Elliott, as you probably know him. Ah, Chase Elliott, yes. The uh, second-generation NASCAR champion who won NASCAR, and I'm sure is lovely. Who's, and honestly, uh, I'm sorry, I haven't really followed NASCAR, but, so I'm, I don't want to say anything which is either wrong or belittling because it's, it's a fantastic achievement to win NASCAR. He's already uh, against, won um, the uh, most popular driver in NASCAR award for this year. So, 
Is that because that Dale, Dale's left, isn't he? He he uh, he has borne the brunt of being a second-generation driver, which can be both a curse and a blessing. Uh, son of Awesome Bill from Dawsonville, and he... The reason he's won the most popular driver is not because he's won the championship, it's because every time he's had a microphone stuck in front of him, he's had something interesting to say. And whether he's had a good day or a bad day, and in fairness, he's had more good days than bad this year. That's how he's won the championship. He's always had something good to say. And he never forgets where he came from. He has been brunged up right, I think, is what we would say over here. Uh, so, how to vote is all going to be on the website when the podcast gets published. Uh, so, as soon as we end the show, uh, I'll start doing that and uh, you'll be able to vote. And voting will close uh, at 5pm UK time next Wednesday, uh, ahead of the start of the show at 8pm. Very looking forward to that. Social distance, of course, this year. Yes. yes. But still in our posh suits. Of course. Just, um, you know, socially distanced posh suits. And we finish tonight with, I'm afraid, some very sad news indeed. Uh, that's the that man behind Walter Lechner Racing, most recently the Porsche Super Cup team, Walter Lechner has died at age 71. What an extraordinary... Uh, life Walter has led. He started off in the hospitality in, uh, industry as a, a bellboy, literally worked his way up from the bottom and worked at the uh, Vienna Hotel Sachler. When he first got into motorsport, how about this for rock and roll? He sold his nightclub in 1975 and set up the Walter Lechner Racing School uh, basically to try and replicate the success of Jim Russell's school in the UK. He raced himself. Uh, you'll remember the Jim Beam cars down through the years. He did Formula 3. Uh, he... Uh, Looked after uh, people like Roland Ratzenberger, Franz Tost. Both were working as driving instructors for him as well. And in 1980, he spotted the talent of the underfunded but hugely quick Stefan Beloff. Put him in Formula Ford and then ran uh, him in Group C to multiple titles. Uh, he did Super V. He did Inter-Series in a March 8-1 uh, when he moved into sports cars, he bought a, he rented a 956 uh, and uh, won on his first time out. And he bought a 962. By the way, the family still own that car. Uh, and I remember him racing at Le Mans, of course, uh, in 89. Uh, my first year there, he had a huge brake failure uh, on the approach to Mulsanne Corner. Preacher Keynes those days, so he'd been flat out since Tete Rouge. Uh, he uh, went uh, uh, into the tyre wall um, and he was driving with Ratzenberger that year, I think. Uh, he competed against Dieter Cuesta in Australian uh, in Austrian touring cars. He put Toto Wolf uh, uh, on the path to becoming um, the man he is today. By telling him he was too slow to race and should uh, yeah. leave the racing school. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep, yeah, pretty much. Uh, he... I think his last race was in a GT Open uh, in a Mercedes back in 2015 when he was 65. He's been doing Porsche Super Cup with his teams for many years. And, of course, I knew him relatively well 
from his association with Damien Faulkner, uh, and also by running the uh, Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge Middle East, which uh, I was involved with for quite a while. Rightly so, he was presented with a Lifetime Achievement Honour in Austria by Hans-Joachim Stuck last year, and he's survived by his sons Robert and Walter Lechner Jr. To all who knew the big man, well, he'd be a big loss in our paddocks. Uh, always did stuff with a smile on his face and had some great stories, many of which could never be repeated <laughs> here. Just remember that big smile all the time. Walter Lechner, who died uh, this week. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.